The following is brought to you by the Social Suplex Podcast Network. Hello, this is Zack Sabre Jr., New Japan Cup winner 2018. And you're listening to Keeping It Strong Style with my mates. Enjoy. Yo, this is Rich Ladder from One Nation Radio. This is brought to you by the Social Suplex Podcast Network. We present to you the Ace of Podcasts, Keeping It Strong Style. Let's go. It's the Ace of Podcasts, Keeping It Strong Style. Covering New Japan, they ready to hold it down. Jeremy Donovan and the young boy Josh. Come and hit a job out in Barrio the Frost. From Tokyo Dome over to the G1. Social Suplex is the network where we can get it done. I'm a chiller and let them have it because this is just an intro keeping the strong style six stars from the get-go boy yeah from tampa bay to the tokyo dome this is keeping it strong style with your host jeremy donovan and the young boy joshua smith and thank you for listening welcome to keeping it strong style the ace of podcasts on the social suplex podcast network jim donovan here with the young boy josh smith on today's show, we'll be discussing the latest on the New Year's Golden Series Tour, Windy City Riot, the Lone Star Shootout, NJPW Strong, your questions, and covering all this news in the world of New Japan Pro Wrestling. You can support our show by subscribing and following the Social Suplex Podcast Network or keeping a strong style on the podcast app of your choice and leaving a rating interview. You can also get all the podcasts and columns over at socialsuplex.com. Check out our Pro Wrestling Tea store, ProWrestlingTees.com slash Social Suplex. That's where you can get your official Keeping It Strong style t-shirt. If you enjoy this podcast, please consider making a one-time or monthly donation by visiting SocialSuplex.com slash donate and clicking on the donate button under the Keeping It Strong style logo. This week's episode is brought to you by the NJPW EXT, the only browser extension for NJPWWorld.com with features like dark mode. Improve translations and layouts, custom and share playlists, synchronized viewing parties, and much, much more. It takes NJPW World to the next level. You can visit njpwext.us today for details. Young boy, how you doing, man? Let me answer that question with one simple noise. Yeah, I'm doing good, man. You know, I've got myself a nice beverage, a refreshment, you know, courtesy of Cigar City Brewing, you know, right out here in uh, beautiful, sunny Tampa, Florida, except it's been pretty cold lately. You know, I mean, frigid, like 55 degrees, you know? Yeah, man, it's it's been cold. It's been raining. It's not been a good time here. That, that's why I like it, though. I actually uh, prefer this weather. Man, what a... What a week open, you know, we got to talk about the weather. We got nothing interesting going on in our lives. Let me tell you something, Jeremy. I'm feeling fantastic, and not just because of this, uh, you know, uh, margarita ghost that I'm sipping on while we record. Um, it's because I treated myself yesterday, you know. I went to the, I went to Target, and I got myself some gimmicks. And by gimmicks, I mean I got myself some new underwear, some new shirts, some new socks i can't explain it but there's something about having some fresh socks and a fresh white shirt that just makes me feel like a million bucks hey man those, those are you know the essentials man you got you got to have the fresh undies the fresh socks the fresh white tees yeah i mean i can't really explain it like when i like 
most mornings when I wake up, it's like, oh, God, I got to wake up. But like the morning after I bought some fresh socks and a T-shirt and some underwear, I'm like, oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's business time. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, yeah, things are going good. And, uh, you know, we're recording a, another fantastic episode of Keeping a Strong Style. Thank you all for uh, tuning in and joining us. And uh, we got quite a lot to uh, to discuss. Anything going on with you, man? I mean, you had a busy weekend. I know I, I heard rumors that you were, you know, out on a fucking whatever island, you know, cutting a rug, you know, <laughs> yeah. doing the electric slide and shit. Yeah, man. I had a pretty uh, busy weekend, uh, Friday, Saturday, uh, church uh, men's retreat for my church here in uh, Tampa, Florida. Uh, so that was a good time. And then uh, Sunday. Yeah, I had a wedding to go to at the Davis Island Garden Club. Uh, my girlfriend. Oh, you had a wedding? Yeah, my uh, girlfriend. Why was, wasn't I at your wedding? Well, not not my wedding. A, a wedding that I was invited to. Uh, my girlfriend. I was about to say, like, if you, <laughs> you had a wedding without me. I, I don't know how I feel about that. <laughs> that that's like a. This is just disrespect right now, man. I want I want to do that. Part of it would be uh, kind of like I kind of I get it. You know, I would understand. You know. You know, I don't know. Maybe you just don't want me there. Whatever. I get it. It's your day. I'm not going to impose <laughs> on your day, Jeremy. You know, I, I know wedding venues are expensive. And at some point, you know, you got to cut the guest list down. But I don't think I could cut the young boy, Josh Smith, off my guest list. Yeah, if I don't make the cut, I don't make the cut. You know, uh, my, my cousin was actually getting married out here. They and um, they're like, yeah, the, the guest list is going to be kind of tight. And I was like, well, if you got to cut me, you got to cut me. <laughs> and they're like for real and i was like yeah you know if it's that expensive and then they did cut me <laughs> damn <laughs> no they decided to uh to do a, a deal with just them and the you know the wedding party went to puerto rico mm. and like every everyone got cut like literally every single person that's not in the wedding party uh, a lot of the family members uh you know good thing most of them don't listen to this podcast they're feeling some kind of way about the whole thing right now you mm. know very, very, very salty. And um, the funny thing, though, is like my cousin's, uh, you know, bride to be. I've met her. She's cool, but she doesn't always know when I'm joking, just like most people. So I kind of like let her think that I thought I was in the wedding party. Like when they're like, oh, yeah, you know, unfortunately, we're not going to be able to have everyone, you know, attend only people in the wedding party. And I'm like, all right, well, awesome. Boricua. You know, I can't wait to go out there. <laughs> And then, like, she didn't, and I saw her reading it, and she didn't say anything. So I, like, kept going with it, and I was like, yeah, absolutely. I mean, um, so, I mean, am I a groomsman or am I best? I wasn't sure. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, or I could stand on Mary's side. I'm not picky. And then, uh, you know, then my cousin had to, like, jump in because he gets my sense of humor. And he's like, actually, I was thinking you could be the flower girl. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and then she like laughed and she realized like I didn't expect to go to Puerto Rico with them. <laughs> that's hilarious. Uh, but yeah. yeah, well, you know that's what we try to do on the show. We aim for comedy. Yeah, it was not my wedding. Don't worry. There, there will be a spot for the young boy at my eventual wedding. But yeah, my girlfriend was a maid of honor for her best friend's uh, wedding. Uh, it's a great time. Her best friend's Peruvian, so it's one of those weddings where they're they're dancing oh. all night. So yeah, this thing. Started at two in the afternoon uh, and didn't end till like nine nine thirty. Uh, it, it was a long one. Did uh, did they have Peruvian food there, or did they do something else more like a little bit more like Western traditional? Uh, more Western. There was uh, your choice of steak, chicken, salmon, 
Um, they all came. see. I, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not interested in that. I'm let down. Like uh, if I ever go to a Peruvian wedding, I, I expect there to be Peruvian food. Oh my god, I love Peruvian food. Like well, uh, you have no idea. It's like one of my all time favorites. <laughs> well, well, the the groom was white, so I, I got, I'm guessing maybe he won out, that <laughs> won out the battle on that one. <laughs> Listen, I just want to say one thing before we move on. Uh, you know, I appreciate you extending the olive branch, making sure that there's a spot for me at your wedding, but uh, I can't say the same for you. <laughs> Give him that old Brett, that Brett Sean. <laughs> I just want you to know that uh, I would put you over. Well, I appreciate you saying that, Brett, but I wouldn't do the same for you. <laughs> oh, Fuck that man. guy. Fuck that guy. I'm never putting him over again. <laughs> oh, man. Well, let's talk some uh, New Japan here. There's a ton of news items, a couple of shows to talk about. But let's start with um, some of the big news. So, you know, last week we talked about the Windy City Riot show that New Japan would be doing in Chicago. We talked about, you know, them doing a great job on social media, hyping up the show. Tickets went on sale. They announced some talent. We got some updates on that first. The Def Rider, the former IWGP US champion, John Moxley, has the been the Lunatic Fringe. <laughs> uh, he's been announced for the show. He cut a promo saying, you know, the boogeyman is always lurking and mentioned names like Tanahashi and Osprey and some other New Japan names. And so it seems like we're gonna get a big matchup for uh John Moxley here. And we did have a question from MJ Does PR. He says, Windy City Wright is shaping up. The Boogeyman is back. What matches are you hoping to get on this card? Do you expect any big angles? He says, also, it's my birthday tomorrow, February 8th. Everybody show me some love or throw me some hate. It's all good, baby. Hey, 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 hey. <laughs> like that, like that old, like the hate ball. show. <laughs> uh, no, so. I'm just playing. We, uh, we appreciate MJ Does PR. Long time, uh. You know, listener, contributor, question asker, you know, supporter of the show. So, uh, and another great question here. So, I mean, um, as far as John Moxley goes, um, you know, I do hope that it ends up being a bigger uh, match. I mean, the type of card that it seems to be shaping up to be, um, it seems to be more akin to those, you know, kind of quarterly or whatever, whatever time frame they're going to follow specials that they've been doing with like Resurgence and Battle in the Valley. And so I assume that they are going to have some sort of, you know, significant match for John Moxley. But who it is, I don't know. It seems like it might be Osprey, though. Yeah, with uh, Osprey Rev Pro show over the weekend, he called out uh, John Moxley. So, and Moxley and Osprey are both featured very big on the Windy City Riot graphics. So, I mean, that's a pretty big matchup to do. I don't think those guys have ever wrestled before. Um, so that would be a great match for a show that is uh, drawing pretty well. Right now, there's only 588 tickets available. The current setup is for 2,198. So 73% of the tickets have been gone, and that's pretty good for uh, a U.S. Uh, New Japan show. Yeah, I mean, especially um, in the post-access, post you know, uh, AEW era. Yeah, this has got to be considered one of the more successful drawing shows that they've done. Um, you know, so that's pretty exciting. Um, you know, I, I wonder if there's any kind of, uh, <laughs> and um, like, if there's a set game plan 
that's in place with the booking and they they've got a big match already planned out or if there's that temptation like we got your money kid maybe we can shift off this uh moxley uh <laughs> osprey match and save it for uh an even bigger venue you know because they haven't promised us any matches yet people are buying buying the shit and i think a, a lot of it just has to do with them uh never really being in the mid market before and then obviously moxley and osprey big names and i think people are expecting a you know uh, a bigger you know matchup like the one that we're kind of discussing here hypothetically so um very exciting stuff all across the board yeah i mean they could pull a tag match they could do like moxley and nagata against osprey and cobb since cobb's gonna be on that show as well um so there's some things they can do if they get that like you mentioned that temptation to kind of go easy since the tickets are already selling but i do hope that they do some bigger matchups. I think the key for these U.S. New Japan shows, they need to show the audience that they're, they're doing big matches. So when they come to your town, you know, all right, we're not just going to get a bunch of multi-mans. We're actually going to get some big matches, which I think they've been doing a decent job of on these, you know, U.S. pay-per-views, you know, resurgence and Battle in the Valley. We, you know, we had, we had U.S. title matches. We had Tanahashi. Um, we had each. We had a never title match at, um, battle in the Valley. So they're, they're doing big matches. They're doing some title matches. We're getting more singles matches. So, you know, back to MJSPR's question, you know, what matches would I like to see? Well, I think Osprey Moxley, that's definitely a match I'd like to see. Uh, I would like to see some kind of title match. We've seen several title matches on these shows before. So I think whether that's, you know, you bring Tanahashi over with the U.S. or if Sonata beats him, Sonata over and do a U.S. title match. Um, Ishii's coming over. So if he beats Evil uh, this weekend, uh, you can have Ishii defend the Never title against somebody, which would be cool. Um, you know, one thing I would like to see is Filthy Tom defend the strong title on one of these uh, U.S. pay-per-view shows. You know, both times he's been in 10-man tag main events that set up a strong title match on TV. But I really feel for these fans that are checking out, you know, the U.S. product for the first time or maybe not too familiar Filthy Tom, I think it would be a great way to let fans know, hey, we have this strong title and do a great strong defense. And, you know, you do have some New Japan guys on here, like do Filthy Tom versus Nagata. I think that would be a pretty cool, like, strong title match. Yeah, I don't disagree. I think part of the uh, the issue with that just uh, is sort of the, the time frames of how they build this out because most of those uh, strong title matches have had, you know, pretty healthy feuds and pretty healthy builds to them. And they're designed to be like the drawing, one of the major drawing attractions for the strong tapings. And if you give it away on one of these like quarterly shows, then it kind of disrupts the uh, the natural progression that they have with strong. But um, I think if you book wise enough, there's a way to do to do it without having to worry about um, you know disrupting everything. Like maybe you could have two challengers simultaneously and be building something for for a strong taping but also have a preemptive uh you know special match for one of these you know quarterly specials or whatever we want to call i don't know what to call them you know i don't know what the terminology premium is, but, uh, live events yeah <laughs> ELEs, you know um so and i i do agree though i think that they need to do something to to uh to showcase some of the strong talent, especially guys like Filthy Tom Waller, who, uh, you know, maybe some of the more casual fans aren't as familiar with it. That would go a long way, I think, in uh, bringing brand awareness to Strong and maybe even 
upping viewership, drawing more eyes and, and attendance to the strong taping. So I definitely agree with you there. One other thing too, uh, to keep in a consideration is like, um, you know, if Will Ospreay is on the show and he is the Rev Pro champion, there is a chance maybe he could defend that title over here in the States. I mean, uh, we haven't seen him do that so far, but that's because he was defending the, uh, you know, the, the real world's IWGP title before, but now he's got that big gold Rev Pro title. And I mean, who knows? Maybe we could see a title defense of that. I, I think the really intriguing thing, though, is if he does end up fighting John Moxley, it's two of the bigger, more protected stars in the company. And um, I just wonder what the booking of something like that would be, because I don't even really know what the outcome could realistically be one way or the other. Like, I have trouble seeing either guy eat a loss to one another right now, especially on on a stage that's not as big as, like, say, a Tokyo Dome or a, a Sumo Hall or something like that, you know? Yeah, there's going to be a lot of politics involved, like we always talk about whenever these, you know, AEW versus New Japan matchups happen or, or talked about. So, yeah, it's going to be very interesting to see kind of what the game plan is. You know, this show is in April, so we'll see what's lay the land. A lot of big stuff will be happening between now and then in both companies. You know, AEW will have their Revolution pay-per-view um, in March, and I'm sure, you know, Mox will be a part of that, and he's going to have some big plans coming up with him being back, potentially feuding with uh, Brian Danielson. And then on the New Japan side, you know, New Japan Cup is coming up next month. Osprey did tease that he was going to be in that. So you, you got to assume that he's going to do very well in that tournament, potentially be in the final, semifinals kind of thing, uh, potentially win it again and be a title challenger. So depending on where these guys stand come April, it could be some interesting discussions between uh, TK and Gato on who's going over here. Yeah, we'll have to see what uh, how it all Hands out. We don't even know. We don't have a card announced yet, so we'll see. Yeah. And I just want to say, uh, happy birthday, MJ does PR. Thanks for always <laughs> listening and supporting the show. Happy birthday, bro. Um, now, when it talks to ticket sales and U.S. shows, we did have a question here from Reddit user FitBeautiful2638. Do you guys have your tickets for the Tampa show? Ticket sales seem very weak. Looks like only 100 sold so far. With Chicago show tickets selling great, over 80% sold. What U.S. markets do you think they should focus on? New York, Philly, California, Seattle, and Chicago all seem strong so far. Dallas has been okay. All other areas have seemed to struggle. Thoughts? Um, well, let's see. I don't know that they've struggled. I mean, they've seemed to do well in L.A. They definitely did good in Philadelphia. Um, they did well in Seattle from what I can tell. Um, the only place that I, that it was really noticeable that they definitely struggled was the Texas tickets. Yeah. Uh, other than that, I mean, I feel like they did well for all the shows, which were, you know, I don't know, like less than, a, I don't, what are they dr- trying to draw for those shows? Like less, like around a thousand, maybe less. Yeah, I think certain venues have, have had different setups, but usually I think it's around a thousand that they're trying to draw. Yeah, and I mean, I don't know if they're drawing those numbers. I guess we'd have to do a little bit more research. I wasn't prepared for, you know, all the semantics of this uh, question necessarily, but uh, yeah, I think they've done okay. Uh, the, the biggest issue is two things. Number one, New Japan in the states is literally just not as hot. Well, actually, three things. They're not as hot as they were when they were touring previously. So they've got that going against them. Number two, uh, you know, with live events kind of opening up over the past year or so, 
and only certain uh, markets really being viable, you know, we've seen major competitors like WWE and AEW continuously go to those same similar markets time and time again. So there is a little bit of an oversaturation in some of these places that they're going to. And they have to really kind of have a showcase of some sort that uh, separates them from their competitors and, and you know, uh, drives demand for the show uh, and interest. And then finally, the biggest thing, most of these shows don't have cards really announced ahead of time. Like right now, all they have announced is talent. And there are some, the only really big name that I think is a draw um, on any level that's announced for the Tampa show is Jay White. Other than Jay White, they've got good, great talent lineup, but none of those guys move the needle, so to say. Right, and it's funny, though. I, I get the the targeted Facebook ads, obviously, because I'm in Tampa and I follow New Japan on Facebook, so, you know, good job with their marketing team there. You know, I, I get the ads, and I see all the comments, and people are like, where's Okada? Where's Tanahashi? You know, where's Naito? Who's coming? Like, people, when they see New Japan, they're, they're thinking of, of the big domestic stars of New Japan. And, you know, there are a ton of wrestling fans who just don't don't have New Japan World, or if they follow New Japan, they, they don't watch strong. Uh, you know, you might have that lapse, you know, access base. The fans that went over to AEW, there, there might be people who, when they, want, when they want to go to a New Japan show, they're, they're expecting to see, you know, Tanahashi, Ibushi. You know, the last time they came to Tampa, right, right, right before the pandemic, we, we had Tanahashi. Um, Ibushi was scheduled for that show, but he got uh, sick. Um, so they were bringing some of the, the bigger guys to the show. I mean, I do know some of the New Japan guys are coming to the States for, you know, Mania Weekend and Windy City Riot. So who knows? Maybe there might be some additions. You know, they're not finished announcing talent. Like you mentioned, they haven't announced a card yet. But without some of those bigger New Japan names, it's definitely going to be hard to draw a fan base uh, that's not been watching strong. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know what the uh, final, you know, talent roster and card announcement is going to be for the Tampa show. Um Based off the trends that we've been seeing for New Japan Strong, uh, just, you know, on the regular television show, there seems to usually be some sort of outsider or two that they bring in that's sort of like a, a showcase or like, a, a you know, kind of a treat for the fans, especially with the Jay White Open Challenge, if that's still ongoing. But we don't even know really at this point if that's going to be the case for that show. But the other thing, too, is like they're – there are less stars. Like they don't have Will Ospreay announced and they don't have guys like Ishii, Minoru Suzuki, you know, Lance Archer, Eddie Kingston, uh, John Moxley. These were all names that have been on some of the previous strong shows that are not really announced for the Tampa show right now. So, you know, even if they can't bring over a lot of the, the big domestic stars from Japan, they don't even have a lot of the big names that are available locally announced for this show so i'm not too surprised that the tickets aren't flying off the uh you know out of the booth because i mean they don't have a card announced and they don't have premium talent really announced and you know with the episodic episodic nature of the tapings i mean who knows what to sort of expect uh do i think that they can make some announcements here in the next few weeks that see an increase yes but well, you also have to remember, Tampa is a great market for wrestling, but we're kind of inundated with wrestling. Um, I mean, there's WWE shows all the time. There used to be NXT shows. The WWN runs out of here. A lot of independent groups. I mean, there's 
literally wrestling available multiple you know semi big shows per month so i mean uh plus with AEW running you know right around the corner you know in jacksonville and orlando and fort myers or wherever it is they're going um you know there's a lot of competition in this area too yeah, and you pointed out something I wanted to bring up. Yeah, that episodic style, you know, the way they tape their TV, you know, feuds play out. I mean, the, the Rivals taping is happening uh, February 17th, and so I'm sure there's going to be storylines on that taping that build to New Beginning in Tampa in March. So you can't, right. you can't fully announce everything or else you're going to end up spoiling uh, the TV show. And that's always been one of the drawbacks um, about New Japan's style of booking and style of business and i mean for you know there there are positives to it but there are negatives where you don't want to give too much away in the future because you don't want to spoil what still has yet to air you know what i mean right and that's something they've always kind of struggled with um and so i guess we'll just have to see how it plays out um at this point i mean we're we're still planning to have like a fan meetup and you know, all sorts of other things, you know, we're, we're kind of organizing it right now. We haven't made a final announcement, but I mean, yeah, the tickets, we do have tickets. We have a group. I think we got a group of like eight people going. So, I mean, if there's only a hundred sold, we're like 8% of, <laughs> of the people going. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, we'll be out there and yeah, we're working on the details for, you know, the fan meetup. We had one last time. A new Japan here was in Tampa. Great turnout. A lot of fun. Uh, some giveaway stuff, so we're still working on that, finalizing details, and hopefully, you know, have another uh, good outing. Yeah, very. I, I'm still excited for the show, but I mean, um, now that I'm looking at the calendar and I'm seeing, like, you know, obviously the WrestleMania show is coming up, and then the Windy City Riot show, it just makes me feel like this is the down show of the tour, especially like with Rivals. There's some good stuff on that one. I just feel like for some reason, I feel like we're like Tampa's getting the shaft (laughs) (laughs) when it comes to like every, like the, uh, just the sort of ebb and flow of, of their style shows. Like, I feel like we're going to have like a C level strong taping where, where, and then the A stuff's going to be for mania weekend in Chicago. Yeah. And, uh, one thing for Chicago, we, we did get, uh, media credentials for that show. So, um, still working out our, our travel details and whether you know we're gonna be able to make the the, the trip there. I'm, I'm planning on, on being there, so uh, there'll be some uh, should be some kiss representation there at that show. Yeah, I will try my best. <laughs> uh, and then for Dallas, New Japan announced some details for that called the Lone Star Shootout, which will be happening as a part of WrestleCon. WrestleMania weekend, that's the name of the event happening. It'll be Friday, April 1st, taking place at the Fairmont Hotel in Dallas, Texas. In addition to being taped for NJPW Strong, this show will air live on Fight TV. It'll be available to purchase on its own or as part of the WrestleCon bundle. Names announced for the Lone Star Shootout, Tomohiro Ishii, Jay White, Tom Waller, Fred Rosser, Red Narita, Yuya Moore, Clark Connors, Gabriel Kidd, Chris Bay, J.R. Kratos, Juice Robinson, David Finley. And then there will be more names announced for the Lone Star Shootout. Uh, I also will be going to Dallas for that event as well. Going to be with uh, Floyd Johnson Jr. from All Things Elite here on the network. So uh, should be pretty interesting. I was pretty excited to see uh, Ishii announced for this show. You know, with Ishii working some of these tours uh, 
pretty often lately. Is there any chance that he's the guy that they're building up to take the title off Tom Lawler? I mean, there's definitely uh, potential. I mean, he's a guy that's always been popular with the U.S. fan base. I think he's a name that would be intriguing to draw people to shows. Um, it'd be a great to, you know, we always talk about trying to get more crossover between what's happening in New Japan proper, New Japan strong, and I think Ishii would be that kind of perfect kind of gateway guide to kind of balance between both what's going on in Japan and here. Yeah, I mean, I just, I notice his name time and time again, and I'm like, is there like an end game to this? Are they like planning to give him a push to be like a title contender for that brand? You know, it just seems, uh, you know, I think he's winning all his matches for the most part, so I wouldn't be too surprised if he ends up being a challenger or even the next guy. You know, although there was a lot of people pooling for different stars of the strong brand, I wouldn't be surprised if they uh, try to strengthen the, the, the lineage of the title by putting it on a domestic guy like Ishii. Right, and the, the tapings are only once a month, so he could fly in, right. do the tapings, fly back, and then a month later fly back again, do the next set of tapings. And so I think that would work out for him. And I think it would be great, too, for him to bring the strong title back to Japan, get it on you know, uh, Japan proper programming, have the uh, commentators put it over, and expose that title to the fan base in Japan. I think it's going to be really cool when they start doing strong tapings in Japan. Yes. Because that's probably going to happen at some point, I bet. Yeah, and hopefully as border um, restrictions open up and guys can get over there. I know Abari did say, yeah, they are planning on doing a strong tour at some point in Japan. So, yeah, that'd, that'd be pretty dope to see. So, speaking of, you know, strong, let's uh, talk about this past week's show. So, we had the new beginning in USA Night 1 kick off here this past weekend on New Japan Strong. These were the shows that were taped in Seattle, Washington. So the show opened up. We had Big Bad Brody King representing the House of Black. He defeated Yuya Mora 12 minutes and 56 seconds. Yeah, um, we heard really good reports coming out of Seattle for this uh, set of tapings. And this first episode really lived up to that hype. It didn't disappoint whatsoever. Uh, the opening match with Brody King and Yuya Yamora was just, I thought, fantastic. I mean... Uh, really, really hard-hitting, fiery, you know, story of uh, this monster Brody King taking it to, you know, a young line and Yuya Yamura, who's uh, really coming into his own on his excursion here. Hard-hitting, these guys just kind of beat the piss out of one another. And uh, ultimately, like, Brody King kind of had to throw everything at him and, you know, finally hit him with the Gonzo Bomb. But, I mean, he literally unloaded his full arsenal of... Uh, you know, giant moves on Yuya Moore to put him away, which was uh, pretty awesome. I mean, I, I enjoyed the match a lot. Yeah, I like this match too. Yeah, Yuya Moore, he was trying to hang in there, throw some, you know, throw some bombs back at Brody King, but, you know, at the end, he just could not, you know, outmatch or outpower the big veteran Brody King. Like you mentioned, hit him with that Gonzo bomb. That, that looked gnarly. He just drilled Yuya Moore with that Gonzo bomb. Uh, laid him out, great opener. In the, in the clothesline before the Gonzo Bomb, he, like, you more a soul left his body from that clothesline. Um, yeah. That that was awesome. The uh, Even just the pile driver that he hit Yumura with prior to that was really great, too. There was a lot of good stuff here. Yumura showed awesome fire, like, just was lighting up Brody King. I mean, he gave just as much as he got. So, yeah, I like this a lot. 
Yeah, and I know one thing with Brody, we were kind of wondering what was going to happen with him now being in AEW and teaming up with Malachi Black. But, you know, the, the announcer did mention that he is a part of the House of Black, so it does seem like they are going to start having a little bit of continuity between his character in AEW and here on Strong. Yeah, it seems that way. Um, next match of the night, we had tag team action as the makeshift team of Leo Rush and Rocky Romero. They defeated the West Coast Wrecking Crew, Jarrell Nelson and Royce Isaacs, 10 minutes, 52 seconds. So um, very good tag team action here. Kind of surprising considering how established West Coast Wrecking Crew are as a unit. Um, but Leo Rush and Rocky Romero, they seem to have a lot of good chemistry. Uh, obviously, both both guys are very experienced veterans. And, um, you know, kind of continuing the ongoing saga of Rocky Romero's quest and odyssey in, you know, kind of trying to defeat the uh, false uh, black tiger who's uh, now aligned himself with, uh, <laughs> with uh, Team Filthy. And um, post-match, there was a huge beatdown from Jarrell Nelson and Royce Isaacs on Rocky Romero using the black kendo stick that was first introduced by the now current Black Tiger. So, you know, they really uh, kind of took it to Rocky, even though Leo Rush and Rocky Romero won the match, Team Filthy stood tall at the end. Right, and uh, there was the promo that came out after Strong with Rocky calling out uh, Black Tiger, and we do know that that match has been announced for the upcoming Rivals taping um, that's coming up soon. So we'll get that uh, eventual Rocky versus Black Tiger match. match. And like you mentioned, um, I was also surprised kind of to see the mix, the mix, uh, the mix team here of uh, Romero and Leo Rush getting the win here with you know West Coast Wrecking Crew being a true tag team and very established with Team Filthy, but like you mentioned, in the end, they, they got their heat back, um, laid out Rocky and Leo, and so setting the doors up here for the Leo, or excuse me, the Rocky and Black Tiger feud. What do you mean got their heat back? What does that mean? I mean, like, they, they you know, they got one over on them. Like, even though they lost, they came back strong at the end. They were the ones, you know, left lying, and they got the heat. Fans are booing them. They got the attention what, back on them. What's the heat? <laughs> Zach uh, at Tiffin Buck asked a question. He said, I remember Young Boy saying he couldn't take Royce Isaac seriously because of the tassel. So, my question is, did the Young Boy see Isaac's gear on Strong this week where it said, Tassel Daddy, LOL? <laughs> and uh, I did. I did see that. You know, it's kind of funny. He's not the only member of Team Filthy that's taken the tassels. Uh, uh, Filthy Tom Waller himself has also kind of adopted a, a tassel mentality. So, you know, um, kind of interesting. We've seen, you know, the, the team that's most associated with tassels over the past years is uh, the Young Bucks, and they've kind of abandoned the tassels. I think the new um, adopters of the tasselism <laughs> is Royce Isaacs and Filthy Tom Waller, you know, Young Buckism. Yeah. Uh, all team building should let's all start wearing tassels. Get Jared Crado some tassels. Uh, let's give them all tassels. Listen, I know this is <laughs> this is gonna sound so ridiculous, and I it sounds like I'm making it up for the show, but I I promise you this is a real thing that happened last night, and I, I didn't see these questions ahead of time, so I didn't know that this was gonna come up. Last night I had a dream that Brock Lesnar like started wearing like red 
uh, not trunks like how he used to wear, but like that he was wearing a, uh, you know how he wears the fight board shorts? Yeah. I had a dream that he was wearing board shorts like that, but they were kind of like ripped at the bottom, similar to like the uh, Buddy Murphy shorts. Mm-hmm. You know how the, you know how those are ripped at the bottom and stuff? Yeah. Yeah, he was wearing like a reddish, orangish, uh, like fight trunk with that sort of thing, but then they had tassels at the bottom of them, and he had tassels <laughs> on his arm. He was like a tasseled up. He kind of reminded me of like um, the Taz uh, when Taz was a what was Taz's old the Tasmaniac. Yeah, it kind of reminded me of Tasmaniac a little bit. I don't know why I dreamt that. It was like you ever have like those those dreams where like you you're waking up, but you kind of fall back asleep and you start to have a, a portion of a dream right before you wake up. Yeah. That's what this was. Like, I don't <laughs> have the context. I just, like, remember Brock Lesnar in tassels. You know? It's kind of weird. I think it's your love for the Ultimate Warrior. Uh, you know, just it's happening in your in your dream realm. And you, you, yeah. turn, you turn Brock into the Ultimate Warrior. It was like an amalgamation of, like, Warrior, Taz, Ken Shamrock. And like Brock Lesnar and Marty Jannetty, like all kind of rolled into <laughs> kind of rolled into, into one. So it was pretty good. Uh, so before the main event, we had a backstage segment here with Ian Riccoboni, which we forgot to mention here on top of the show. Ian Riccoboni did the commentary here because Kevin is in Japan. So we had Ian Riccoboni and um, with uh, Kozlov. So he was backstage interviewing Finley and Juice Robinson ahead of their tag match coming up against Jonah and Bad Dude Tito. Josh, what are your thoughts been on uh, Ian Riccoboni on this episode so far? I think Ian Riccoboni is fantastic. I've always thought that about the guy. I mean, he's always stood out as a pro and a top-notch commentator, you know, uh, from his time in Ring of Honor. And uh, I think that he is a really good voice for this brand. Um, you know, there was a part of me though, and I mean, I'm not just saying this because he's been on the show or a supporter, but like, why haven't they tried out Mads Gillis? Doesn't mm. that seem kind of weird too? Yeah, because because I think Mads is really fantastic as well. Like, he's always been a guy that I thought did a fan, a really good job, uh, you know, on the call for New Japan as well. So, um, but yeah, you know, Ian's great. Ian's really great. Um, I can't sit here and say that. I saw people try to claim this online. I think they're wrong, but um, I can't say that having Ian Ricky Bonnie on the call made Alex Kozlov any better or more like bearable or more comfortable or natural. And I saw people trying to make those kinds of claims. I thought I thought Kozlov was just as bad as he is with uh, Kevin Kelly, <laughs> <laughs> but. Um, yeah, I mean, Ian Riccoboni is really great, and I think he's a guy that they should really consider keeping around. I mean, he's top-notch, and, you know, Kevin can't always be doing the strong tapings, especially with how much time he dedicates to uh, New Japan proper. And I think, uh, you know, Ian's a really good guy for the for the brand. So we'll see what happens, but I, I think he's great. Yeah, I thought he was awesome, you know, from the get-go and the, the, the cold opening of him and Kozlov. Like, his voice, like you mentioned, his presence, like, he knows his stuff. Um, yeah, it was, it was great to have him there. I think he's going to be a welcome addition to Strong. I would love to hear, like, him and Kevin Kelly together uh, calling these shows. But, yeah, I think Ian will be a great person to have when Kevin is in Japan uh, calling live shows. So, definitely a welcome addition here and did a great job um, commentary here night one. 
Well, I think Ian and Kevin would be fine. The only thing is they're both kind of play-by-play guys. Uh, or is that what it is? I, I always mix them up. Yeah, I think they're... Well, they, are, they, are, they, are they the color guys? No, they're not color. I think they're lead. And lead is usually play-by-play, right? Yeah, I think so. Either way, I mean, you know, I'm sure they could work it out. We've seen Kevin uh, do the call with different guys like Mavs and like Excalibur and stuff like that. So it would be fine. But uh, I think they both need a strong color guy to play off of. I, I think it might be like too much of a good thing if you have both of them there and you don't have a, you know, and then you've got Kozlov, who's a terrible color guy. So, <laughs> you know, the, the problem still persists. So they kind of need uh, a good color commentator. Yeah. One thing I want to point out before we move on from that, though, like you said, he really knew his stuff. And um, I remember him on social media, Ian, that is, uh, kind of just talking about how he wasn't as familiar with New Japan and that he was really doing a lot of his homework and going back and rewatching basically virtually every episode of Strong to, to kind of acclimate and familiarize himself with the product. And I mean, when he came in, he really knew his stuff. Whoever was helping him with any kind of notes, you know, kudos to those guys and kudos to him because he, uh, Came in like a pro. I mean, he really added a lot to the call. Yeah, he was great. Um, so now we move to the main event here. Um, great storytelling here. We've got a nice little video package highlighting the rivalry between our main event here between TJP and the Wild Rhino Clark Connors. Um, you know, their very first matchup, they face each other in the same building in Seattle in a one-on-one match of Clark still as a young lion and it showed their history from 2019 and now these guys teaming up in the Super Junior Tag League and being a team in Japan and on Strong and some of the miscommunications they've had over the Strong tapings and then all building to the final uh, turn when TJP turned on the LA Dojo to join the United Empire and then the, the match where he cheated to beat Clark and all leading up to this moment right here. Homecoming, Clark is from the Seattle area. Um, and initially trained there and wrestled a little bit of indies there. So big homecoming, big personal feud to uh, be the main event on this night one of the tour. Yeah, again, this is one of those things that I love about the layout of the strong tapings is you can have a really, really strong, long, quote-unquote main event, but it's third. It's probably the third match of the night. You know what I mean? So right. you're getting you're getting these, uh, you know, little sound bites of episodes of a show every so often throughout the night. And, you know, I can only imagine what that really feels like to kind of take that in when you're there live. So I think that's really awesome. Um, whoever put together that video package for this match did a fantastic job. And, uh, I thought Clark and TJP went out there and they really knocked it out of the park. Um, we here on keeping a strong style, I think we were a little bit, dismissive of the early uh kind of miscommunications and miscues uh, just you know all the contention that was going on between clark connors and tjp and i think part of the reason why we were so dismissive is we were sort of viewing new japan strong in this one very specific kind of way that it was just sort of like a, a self-contained little bottled in universe and that it didn't have room you know there's just these individual tapings. They Most of the stories played out back then over one taping, and we weren't expecting anything um, long form 
to come out of this brand. You know, maybe we should have expected it knowing it's New Japan, but I don't think we did. And so when everything started popping off with Clark Connors and G- TJP, we kept just predicting time and time again that there'd be a, a quick rift, a quick breakup, you know, maybe even some of that Western style booking was sort of affecting our, our ideas of this. And we didn't know the kind of long odyssey that this feud was going to take on and, you know, all the twists and turns and then, then, you know, kind of breaking up and then getting back together and then working it out and then having miscommunications. And then the big unveil that TJP was all along, you know, a, uh, you know, an empire guy. And then everything that's kind of come from that, and they've really gotten a lot of juice out of this squeeze. And uh, I, I, once it was like kind of put in front of me, I was like, my God, how did we not see this from the get go? But I got to tell you, we're usually, head- I don't think either of us really saw this. And um, I'm kind of glad we did because it's kind of refreshing and man, this match delivered. Yeah, this was a awesome matchup here. And, you know, it played off the last matchup they had where uh, TJP was targeting the injured leg of Clark Connors. And then he used that to get the leverage to get the, the win over him last time. And so, Clark was uh, feigning the injury, pretending that the leg was still injured, and uh, he suckered TJP in with that fake injury, on t- took the tape off the knee, so the knee was fine, and then, yeah, Clark showed a lot of great fire here, um, you know, setting up his, you know, his pounce that he does, all the kind of the misdirection moves he does, um, especially towards the end, that stretch there, where he was just, like, kicking out at one of all TJP's big moves, the, the detonation kick and the Mamba splash and some of the other stuff that TJP does. Just really firing up the home team, the home city crowd was behind him and wanted to see him win. There was just so much going for this match. Yeah, um, like you mentioned, you know, there was the whole thing where Clark Connors came in with the injured leg, big bullseye for TJP, and then Clark Connors kind of showed his hand a little bit, uh, you know, because he was just on an incredible shine sequence for the early part of the match, and once he had TJP like kind of down. He, he unveiled, like, oh, it was all a ruse. My leg's fully healed, you know? Mm-hmm. And it was like, oh, my God, this guy this guy's like, you know, um, like Wolverine. He's regenerated. <laughs> and, uh, you know, that was really cool. But then TJP, like, was, like, kind of keyed in and, and made aware, like, oh, the target I had isn't really a target at all. I need to audible my attack. And that's when, he, on the outside, he injured Clark Connor's shoulder. And that became the the subject of his attack for the rest of the match and that kind of limited what Clark Connors could do because he uh you know uh, utilizes that so much for like the spear and for the pounce and so it really made a lot of sense story-wise as to why that would be TJP's uh you know main target but back and forth high like a lot of really great high like impact offensive type moves um a lot of high risk stuff on the outside, high flying from both guys. But uh, where things really picked up is, like you mentioned, TJP started hitting all of his signature moves and even some of his like quasi finishers on Clark Connors. And Clark just was firing up and he was kicking out at one out of everything, which, you know, I don't always like to see that, but there are times where this kind of thing really works. And it's almost similar to like when back in the day, you know, a Hulk Hogan would Hulk up or, Sting would, you know, power up or Lex Luger and, you, you know, um, even Goldberg, you know, and I'm not saying Clark Connors is the same, like uh, maybe build or stature of those guys, but like in front of this crowd, with the story they've been telling and him being this 
you know, graduated lying, having all this, uh, you know, fighting spirit that was kind of coursing through him. And, uh, you know, he gave TJP the middle finger, you know, gave him the LA dojo, you know, um, hand sign. And then, you know, eventually hit him with, uh, what's his finisher called? The The big game hunter, the trophy kill, the trophy kill. Yeah. He hit Clark Connors with the trophy kill. And from there, it was just like one, two, three, like this guy, um, at least on this night was in a different class from TJP. We've talked about this with these, uh, these LA Dojo Young Lions is that like they're fantastic talents. They've got really good marketable looks. You know, there's as far as a package goes, there's a lot there, but we've talked about how they need something more, something like kind of defining and and something that sets them apart that kind of uh, lets people know what they're about as far as characters go, something that builds them. And um, I felt like this match was, in a way, something very character-building because this was a true elevation of Clark Connors. It wasn't just him beating a guy with a roll-up or, you know, getting a fluke win or anything. Like, this was a big feud with an established, you know, semi-legend in the junior division, a guy that's got long ties in history going all the way back to Inoki's Dojo in L.A. And Clark Connors beat him. Like this was his big defining definitive win over this guy. And it was a, it was a great match. Like right now, I mean, I don't, maybe there's been, I don't think there's been any, any better new Japan match in February so far. I'm, I'm, it might get surpassed, but as of right now, this is my match of the month for, for new Japan. I'm like, I don't know, four and a quarter on it. Maybe. Yeah. Probably four and a quarter. Oh, wow. man. Hi, hi there. Um, yeah, I think I'm probably like four stars. I'll go four stars flat on it. I'm thinking. Uh, but yeah, definitely a uh, great main event, and we, we do have some big title matches coming up in Japan, so it might end up getting surpassed, but as of right now, yeah, it's definitely the best match uh, of Japan for February. One thing that bothered me specifically about this match and kind of the whole show, but it's specifically this match, was just the camera the lighting, work. The lighting and the camera work. Like, I don't know if you know, it's like the, the hard cam- camera, like it got, like, got crooked. And so when they would like switch to the hard cam, like the ring looked like it was like off balance. I was like, what the heck is going on? Like what happened between the first match and this match where the cameras like all like looked like it's lopsided and it just didn't look great. And lighting, like and I know we've talked about like the production issues with strong before, but that's the one thing that hurts this show. Like you never know what you're gonna get in each city. Like some cities production looks great, and then other cities the production is like we got here in Seattle where like some of the match is good, some of it's bad. And I, I'm guessing they're using the local production crews in, in each city. But man, I think at some point they really need to um, invest in like a strong camera crew that is the, the main crew anywhere they go. Or they need to get like a, a technical director that's kind of in charge to make sure that these camera guys, that the cameras are set up correctly and, um, that they, it looks the best that it possibly can. Yeah, I don't disagree. I don't disagree at all. Um, the one thing I did that was bad, I, even though Clark Connors had an incredible performance here, selling-wise and firing up and just everything, but the one bad part, uh, remember when he did the splash that TJP does? Yeah, the Mamba splash. Yeah, his Mamba splash was trash. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, super janky, but other than that, everything was fantastic. Dude, there was one move TJP did. It was a, a Maje Straw driver. That was raw. I don't think I've ever seen anybody do that before. TJP did a lot of really cool stuff in this match. I mean, you know, 
say what you will about the guy, but he's a great wrestler. Yeah, it seems to be a theme with, you know, not Empire guys. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's weird. It almost feels like Jeff Cobb does not belong there. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, next week will be night two of the New Beginning USA tour. Got the big main event of Finn Juice taking on Jonah and Bad Dude Tito. Josh Barnett will make his return as he takes on Ren Narita. And then the opener of the show will be Bullet Club's Hikaleo taking on Cody Chun, making his strong debut. A Seattle native wrestles for Defy Wrestling there in Seattle. So he's getting a shot here on strong against the young gun Hikaleo. So now we'll move on to what's going on in Japan. So first got to talk about uh, some COVID-19 protocols that forced some changes to uh, Sunday's house show and Monday's um, televised show on NJPW World. So New Japan announced that four wrestlers were off of Sunday's event in Chiba and Monday's Cork and Hall show due to medical protocols. Hiroki Goto, Yoshihashi, Taiji Ishimori, and Jado were removed from the shows either because they presented fevers or had close contact with someone who presented with a fever. So there were tag matches on each event that were modified due to the protocols. Well, you know, um, that's not great to hear, but, uh, you know, all the reports are that it's not been a big deal for these particular wrestlers. Uh, if they do have COVID or if not, it's just been minor, you know, fevers, things like that. But, uh, you know, um, good on the company for taking the, proper measures and protections to uh, just ensure the safety of everybody. And then, uh, you know, having at least uh, enough sense of a booking uh, ability to kind of have some plans in place to audible, even if they're not the most ideal things, they have ways to kind of keep the stories going and, um, you know, still ensure that the, the show goes on, you know? Yeah. Uh, so we had a show here from Cork and Hall on Monday uh, for part of the New Year's Golden Series the show opened up with Great Okan defeating Yuta Nakashima five minutes and 54 seconds. Uh, Okan knocking Yuta out here with a big elbow and uh, getting the win here. Yeah, uh, nothing major, but you know, um, kind of just interesting to see Okan just on a warpath rampaging through these young lions. And uh, I thought Kevin Kelly was good on the call, just kind of highlighting how. Okan doesn't want to be here in the opening spots. He doesn't want to be wrestling these young lions and he's kind of taking it out on them and kind of showing his viciousness because he did beat Yuto Nakashima with that gigantic elbow, knocked him out. But instead of going for a TKO or a, you know, a ref stoppage or a knockout, he still added insult to injury by getting the pinfall on top of it. Yeah. And with all these wins, like you mentioned, it makes me feel like he might get like a run, maybe a new Japan Cup or something interesting on the, the, the on the rise for Ocon. The other thing, too, is he's wearing his big match gear every night against mm, the Lions. Yeah. Something about that, uh, you know, because we've seen him have singles matches. Well, maybe not. Does he always wear that gear for singles matches? Um, it's, hard to, it's hard to say. Maybe I don't know. he does because usually on the road to, he's usually in a, in a multi man with like Cobb or uh, Hanara, and he wears the the other gear. So it may, right. maybe this is just any time he wears a singles match, he, he wears this gear. Well, you know, we had theorized earlier that uh, 
that his uh trunks look was something that he did for like the lesser of matches and that in the, only in the big matches would he break out you know the uh whatever the the long boy gear or you know the more extravagant gear that he's wearing whether that's true or not i mean i think it's kind of telling that he's wearing that gear wrestling lions and he's not putting on trunks something that would be similar to what the young lions are, are wearing because if you think about it Ocon's only been back from excursion not too long so it's not like he wasn't in their place all that long ago and he's really just making it known like i'm not like you <laughs> yeah you know i've made it and uh you know if i have anything to do with it you're not going to make it so eat this fucking elbow <laughs> yeah so nice little fun short opener there um, then we move on to the second match. We had Bushi and Hiromu defeating Kosei Fujita and Rihoi Oiwa. Once again, Hiromu uh, up the stakes in the match here, put on his Kamatachi mask and said if one of the guys could get the mask off, that he would give them, I believe it's 100,000 yen. And so in the middle of the match, uh, Kosei Fujita was able to get the mask off of Hiromu and kind of got like a big pop from the crowd there. But unfortunately, that wasn't just for the, the win. He had to keep wrestling. But and Hiromu got him in the Boston Crab and tapped him out. But Hiromu, a man of his word, gave him the envelope of cash after the match. Uh, Oiwa looked uh, pretty happy when he saw the, the cash. Yeah, I, I hope it's real. Because, <laughs> you know, you hear the stories about, like, the lions in the dojo and, like, how they're starving. And, like, they, they're just eating Chunko, like, night and day and they can't afford to go out. I'm hoping that hundred dollars is real, so you can like, you know, go out and hit the town and like get a good meal. <laughs> <laughs> uh, next matchup, we had the Bullet Club team of Gato, who's filling in for Taiji Ishimori, teamed up with Yujiro Takahashi to defeat the team of Tiger Mask and Tomioka Hanma. Ten minutes and eight seconds. Yeah, this was fine. Um, you know, you got a lot of olds in this match, and then Yujiro, who's basically an old as well. So, you know, uh, it's what you'd expect from a Gato Bull Club tag team match with Hanma in it. Um, it was fine. The The big story coming out of this is they're building up the uh, upcoming challenge of Bull Club's cutest tag team against Flying Tiger for the junior tag team titles. Like you mentioned, Gato kind of stepping in for Taichi Shimori. There is an upcoming special singles match that had originally been Taiji Ishimori against Tiger Mask. It's now being rescheduled to Gato versus Tiger Mask. And post-match, we saw Gato and Yujiro, you know, kind of uh, take out their frustrations on Tiger Mask. They had Yujiro hold Tiger Mask while Gato hit him in the face with uh, brass knuckles, kind of getting some heat and building to the upcoming special singles match there. So, you know, uh, I think they're doing the best they can with what they got in this situation. <laughs> yeah, I think this is the first time in a while that we've seen a House of Torture member team with somebody not associated with that unit. I didn't even think about that at all. Um, yeah, that makes sense. Um, wow, yeah. Well, I guess uh, I guess that settles the great debate. Bullet Club is fine. <laughs> Uh, so next up, we had a big eight-man tag here. Suzuki-gun members, Doki, Minoru Suzuki, Taichi, and Takamichinoku. They defeated the team of Tenkoji, Tenzan Kojima, Toriyano, and Yuji Nagata, 10 minutes and 24 seconds. 
Um, yeah, this is probably going to be one of the more talked about matches on this card just because of all of the ongoing storyline shenanigans between Minoru Suzuki and uh, Toriano revolving around KOPW. Toriano brought out a gigantic dog kennel at the start of the match. And, um, you know, I'm still kind of wondering what all that's about because, I mean, up to now we've had, you know, Yano messing around with all these, uh, you know, uh, what are they called? Why do I forget words? What's wrong with the handcuffs? Yeah, the handcuffs. And, um, you know, and that still kind of came into play here. But at one point, Minoru Suzuki decided he was going to handcuff himself to Toriano. So Yano couldn't get away from him. But then they had the dog kennel out there. And that kind of came into play later in the match where Yano was brawling with Taka Michinoku and he trapped Taka in the dog kennel. But I'm like, what what kind of fucking stipulations are we getting for this KOPW match? Well, Josh, I'm glad you asked. I do oh, have wait, oh. I do have the stipulations. I was gonna do it a little bit later. Wait, but... wait, wait. Before you do that, is there any chance it's a cage match? Um no. Ah, well then I don't <laughs> give a fuck. Like I saw I saw a cage and I was like, oh maybe. Well, I, I guess in a in a way it's a, a cage match. Um Nah, so... nah. If it's if it's not you know, solid steel cage surrounding the a solid steel cage. Codyism. It's not that. Then I don't want it. Well, well, here are the steps. So this is from New Japan. So after Yano handcuffed um, him to the ropes on several occasions in January, the current trophy holder, Minoru Suzuki, has proposed a handcuff death match. In this bout, there will be no disqualifications, and both men will start with handcuffs on their wrists allowing the possibility for them to be chained to anything, including one another. Oh, wow. In response, as demonstrated by Yano on Takamichinoku on Monday in Korokin, Suzuki's challenger has proposed a dog cage match. In this bout, the only way to win will be to lock your opponent in the dog cage at ringside. Oh, I hate that because, I mean, like, this is all trickster stuff. I wanted, like, Suzuki to be like, MMA match. We fight for real doing MMA. <laughs> and then it's like, okay. And then, you know, and then Yano has to like show up, you know, and, and fucking fight this man. You know, there's no no way out. So I don't know. Uh, it's, it's just more KOPW bullshit, I guess. I shouldn't like care, I guess. Yeah, I think we were hoping with Suzuki as a trophy holder, we might get a little bit more. Um serious or more normal uh, pro wrestling stipulations. But, yeah, we're still living in this uh, Toriano KOPW world of these goofy uh, stipulations. Uh, so, Josh, which which one are you, will you be voting for here? Um, Probably the, the, uh, the handcuffs. I mean, I just feel like there's more possibility for violence uh, to be – you know, on display, like the dog kennel one sounds kind of shitty. Yeah. I could just see like Toriano, like dodging some move from Suzuki and Suzuki falling into the shit, like (laughs) Yano sitting on it and like locking it up and him like just smiling and like, you know, Suzuki trying to get out, but he's locked in. Like that just sounds horrible to me. I don't want that at all, but I bet you there's a bunch of like fucking, you know, ironic wrestling ghouls that would love some shit like that. Same people that like Dan Housen and R-Truth and, you know, Yano. <laughs> hey, what's wrong with R-Truth? 
and, and Orange Cassidy. <laughs> it's goofball shit, bro. <laughs> oh, man. R-Truth, like, one of the greatest finessers of all time. He is. And I'm not, like, trying to hate on him, but, you know, you have a, when was the last time you wanted to see an R-Truth match? Like, 2011 when he's wrestling John Cena? Like, I can't think of anything since then. When he was smoking on, on national television in the arena? When he wore a Confederate Army <laughs> uniform <laughs> on Monday Night Raw on the USA Network. Yes. <laughs> oh, fuck. Oh, man. So, yeah. So. Also, since we're on the subject, is Danhausen now a member of Chaos? Is that where we're at? Uh, maybe he came out with uh, Cassidy in Utah last week on Dynamite. So. He seems to be best friends adjacent right now. I don't know if he's officially in best friends, but if he does join that group, I would assume that he will be a member of Chaos. Along with the Briscoes. Nice. (laughs) Oh, man. So uh, moving on here, we had a tag. Ultimate Chaos tag team. Um, (laughs) Ten-man unit. Five guys. Um, Danhausen. Uh, Mikey Nichols, <laughs> the Briscoes, and Sue, <laughs> the elite of chaos. Yeah. <laughs> what a, what a fantastic! Oh, and Jay White probably there. Jay White in there at some point. He's he's still in chaos. No, this is like all time tag team. Oh, okay. It's all time chaos members. Okay, all time chaos members. Hmm. Well, speaking of chaos, we had chaos members Ishii and Yo. They lost to House of Torture member Evil. Oh, also before before we move on, Suzuki Gun won that match. Oh yeah, uh, Taichi. (laughs) Yeah, he hit my boy Kojima with the Black Mephisto to uh, get the win there. Yeah. So uh, this match, House of Torture, Evil, and Show, they defeated Chaos Ishii and Yo by disqualification at the end of the match. Yo. Had it, he snapped, he took the wrench and blasted show with the wrench right in front of the referee. Didn't care, and then just unloaded some lefts and rights on a unconscious show. Listen, I'll say this much. Um, was it good to see someone get their comeuppance on a House of Torture member? Yes. Um, did, that justif- did that make the DQ somewhat satisfying? Yeah, it did. But was it worth it to build up the last? When did when did show like turn? Let's just let's just work off show specifically. Was that was like in August? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. So, I don't know. Let's just do. I don't know. Quick math. Six months. The six months of shitty show matches was not like worth it to get this come up. So you know what I mean? Like, there's probably some people who are like, see. See, if you build a heel up the right way, the people want to see him get beat. I'm like, no, bro. Like, you know, I don't need to see him have terrible matches for six months to get this one moment on this, you know, road to level uh, golden golden series, you know, um, fifth, you know, third from the top match. Like, but uh, that being said, in a vacuum, yes, it worked for me to see yo hit this man show with the wrench and knock him out. Um, it was finally good to see someone in New Japan get some semblance of come up in some of these guys and to uh, 
give them a taste of their own medicine. So I kind of did like that. I just, it's not, I, I'm not going to sit here and like justify what they've done with House of Torture by praising this, but uh, in a vacuum, it worked. Yeah, it, it was good for this show. And it was kind of something like Kevin Kelly has mentioned, um, you know, that these chaos guys and hunt guys need to uh, get some comeuppance on House of Torture and fight fire with fire and stop letting House of Torture kind of run over them. Um, so it was good for this, um, but I'm still not thrilled to see their upcoming singles match. Um, so, but but with that being said, this is the best thing that's happened for their singles match the entire time that they've been feuding. That that, like, that is true. None of their segments or matches, like nothing that they've done up to now, like. Not the show turn on Yo, not the, you know, Yo making his big returns, you know, not even the um, show interference during the Super Junior Finals. None of that shit really, like, moved, you know, kind of got to me. Like, all of that was just like, eh, you know, whatever. But this was one time where, like, Yo, like, laid this man out and then show did an all-time, like, sell job, just, like, dead. You know, dead people be, like, show just laying there. <laughs> and, um, that was great, but, uh, you know... I don't. I, it might be a little too, too little, too late for me to care a lot about show versus yo. But I do care a little bit more than I did before, which was not not at all. Yeah. Well, let's just hope they can deliver somewhat of a, a decent match when they face off soon. Yeah. This is this is United Empire versus uh, you know, um, Tenkojiism from last year. You know, <laughs> having a feud, ending it on DQs. In the February tour, this is the same shit. <laughs> uh, we had a question here from Reddit, the Dark Soldier, about a House of Torture member, Yujiro. Says that despite being a pimp, is Yujiro Takahashi a hoe? He's a member of Chaos. Turns on them to join Bullet Club. Side of Kenny for the Bullet Club Civil War. Side of the Bullet Club Elite, then goes back to Bullet Club proper. Now he's with the House of Torture. What gives? I mean. You could say he's a hoe, and in a way he is because he sucks at you know. But when you when you spell it out that way, it makes me sound like this man's finessing his way and and failing up all the time. Like man went from chaos, joined Bullet Club, the hottest faction going in the entire company at the time, the first ever domestic star to join Bullet Club. Then he joined the right side, joined Kenny's side in the Civil War. You know, failed up again. Then when, you know, Kenny and them leave, he's like, you know what? Going back on the other side, <laughs> you know? And then, you know, House of Torture, those guys are getting pushed. They're getting paydays. They're getting titles. He he knows where his bread is buttered. Like, you know, say the will about Yujiro Takahashi as far as a performer, as far as, far, as, far as a man, as far as a pimp goes, but never, never question his, uh, you know, business-making decisions. This guy always chooses the right side. He does not lose. Yeah, smart businessman. He, he's a finesser. He's going to make sure he ends up uh, in, in the winning or the most popular group. He's now one-third of the never six-man champs because of the, the lateral switch there to House of Torture. Uh, so he's, you know, he's always finds this way. He's always winning. He's like Jeff Jarrett. He's, he keeps who, winning. Who else, who else in New Japan is doing so much with so little? <laughs> And also, who else in New Japan has Peter on their arm, you know? Mm, yeah. This man stays winning. I don't care. 
Yes. <laughs> uh, we also had a question here from Reddit user Cultural Internet Seven One Seven. It says, "Why is House of Torture?" Oh man, that's a uh, that's too deep of a question. I mean, to to ask why is House of Torture? I mean, you know, why are they the way they are? Why are they the House of Torture? I feel like that goes into like deep psychological type issues. Some more. That's some lore. We would have to like sit down, evil Watanabe, sit him down on the couch, have him talk to, you know, a professional and really delve deep into his childhood trauma, his formative years, you know. What caused this? Why are why are you the way you are? Why why is this group the way that they are? You know, and I don't think that this show is the proper platform to uh unravel all that. I mean, we only go three plus hours every week, so I don't think we have enough time <laughs> to discuss all that. Maybe that'll be a, a bonus, you know, behind the paywall. Never, never, it never <laughs> will. I'm not talking about. I'm not spending any more time to talk about House of Torture lore. <laughs> you know, I'll, I'll take some time to talk about Ujiro, You know, because he's a pimp, but the rest of them, I don't know, bro. Yeah. Well, let's move on to the semi-main event of this evening. We had the LIJ team of Sonata, Shingo, and Naito defeating Tanahashi, Okada, and Togi Makabe, 15 minutes and 40 seconds. So obviously here we have the, the U.S. program with uh, Sonata and Tanahashi, the world title program with uh, Okada and Naito. So building those two big matches. Yeah, this is um, probably the match of the night. No surprise there. You know, Sonata and Tanahashi, a lot of clean, classic chain wrestling exchanges between them. That kind of fits into the story that they're trying to tell. Uh, Naito spent much of the match attacking everybody's knees, which, uh, you know, plays into the story between him and Okada, the ongoing odyssey since 2012. You know, uh, he... He, he targets knees. That's what he does. There's part of me that thinks like Naito is just envious that he doesn't have knees anymore. He wants to make sure no one else can have any more <laughs> knees. And so, but for whatever reason, he has chosen to target Okada's knees once again in this match. And then, you know, Makabe and Shingo are kind of the odd men out, but they both are hard hitters. And I felt like their interactions in the match were actually the highlights, um, much like the Nagata Shingo matches were your, uh, Interactions were the highlights of a similar match on the same tour. And, you know, obviously Shingo beat Togi Makabe to uh, kind of wrap things up here. Naito, uh, you know, attacked Okada post-match on the outside, put him in a figure-four leg lock, continued to do more damage to the knees, kind of uh, building a target for himself going into their title match. Yeah, then uh, Tanahashi, he grabbed the U.S. belt, and uh, Sonata was kind of staring him down. Uh, you know, handsome battle stare off there. Um, you know, Togi Makabe, you know, he usually limits his bumps, but he had no choice to bump when he was in there with a the dragon. Chingo hauled him up, got him up for the last of the dragon, dropped him hard. <laughs> yeah. I mean, he was in there with, uh, you know, four top competitors and Sonata. So, <laughs> you know, when you're in there with four top competitors, four world champion caliber level talents and Sonata, you go hard. Okay. <laughs> Instead of doing two bumps, you do three or four. All right, you yeah. up it. You get pinned. You take the pin. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, so then we move on to the big main event here: 
Main event, Wato teams up with Taguchi, team six or nine. They defeat the Suzuki team of El Desperado and Yoshinobu Kanemaru, 23 minutes and 16 seconds. Is that official now? Are they six or nine now? Yeah, the ring announcer, CC said he called them team six or nine. Because that wasn't their name before. I know, they had some other name, but now... Yeah, now I think they, it was eight. I thought it was eight or one. Well, well, now they're six or nine, and their new tag finisher is number nine, which they used to uh, win the match here. Oh, my God. This is going to bother me. Like, I'm looking this shit up. Um, <laughs> what, but their, yeah. what their old I mean, team was? You, yeah, I want to figure out what the name what the name of the fucking team was. I'm looking it up. You can keep talking about this shitty match. <laughs> so <laughs> we had uh, the main event here. It was um, building up the upcoming junior title match between Watto and Desperado that's coming up this weekend. And, you know, I, I thought it was a good showcase here for uh, Watto. Watto's been looking really good in these multi-man matches with Desperado, and if you remember, this all stems back to the the pre-show of Night Two of Wrestle Kingdom, where Watto uh, tapped out uh, Despy with his new submission hold, and that's what got him the title match here. And so these guys are looking good. It seems like Watto and Gucci are also um, going to be vying for a potential future junior tag title shot. Oh, uh, the emphasis on this new name six or nine, and the, this new finisher they had here, the the number nine, which was a like a dodon into a downward spiral slash pay dirt type maneuver here. Also uh, got the, the win over on Kanomaru. So Master Wato has a lot of momentum going into this weekend's junior title match. Um, you know, build some credibility for the challenger here. It seemed like the, the crowd was uh, really behind Wato and Taguchi here, and especially Wato and wanted to see him. Um, pull the upset over uh, Desperado. Okay, so I looked it up, and I was correct. The name of the team officially was One or Eight, and I don't know why they're called One or Eight. I think it's some sort of like pun, um, playing off something in Japanese that we maybe like is kind of lost in translation. I don't know, but uh, or at least I recall being told something to that to that effect but i guess they're not one or eight anymore i guess they're six or nine yes all right <laughs> cool you know <laughs> uh match was fine um you know nothing really to complain here this was one where i don't think it needed 23 minutes but i i get why they did it it's the main event you want them to to kind of be a showcase but uh i don't know this thing could have gone like 12 or 14 minutes for me it probably would have been fine yeah, it would have been fine. I, I didn't mind too much. I mean, I thought it was a, a good main event for a Cork and show and great way to spotlight the junior title program. Yeah, I mean, it was good. Um, obviously, like you mentioned, the big thing here is just, uh, you know, building Watto as a credible challenger for Desperado, where he has seemed to kind of have the upper hand against Desperado almost the entire the entirety of their little mini feud here leading to their title match. And, you know, Taguchi picking up the big win here against Kanemaru. And uh, Wato kind of finding ways to, uh, you know, frustrate and, you know, defeat El Desperado leading into their match. Yeah. Uh, we had a question here from Twitter follower William at Hayabusa5595. 
if you could swap Watto's blue Karen hairstyle with anyone else on the roster, who would you choose? Miho Abe. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, man. Um, you know, probably you know, you know who could probably pull it off? The man who's able to pull off any hairstyle known to man. The ace. Hiroshi Tanahashi. Yeah, and Tanahashi's hair, I think, would, would look good on, on a Watto, make him look more like a star. Bro, I would do anything to have Tanahashi's hair. My God. <laughs> my life would turn around. If I had Tanahashi's hair, do you know what kind of doors that could open for me in my life? Forbidden doors? So many doors, bro. If I walked back into Side Dojo with Tanahashi's hair, I would, I would do no jobs. I'd be beating everybody within weeks, <laughs> the entirety, Matt, Matt included. <laughs> Oh man! Uh, you know? Yeah, and there's funny there. Uh, the meme resurfaced today of uh, Tanahashi of all of his uh, various haircuts throughout the years. And uh, one of our friends, I believe it was, uh, I think it was Jamie, who uh, made a meme that was like, you know, thank you for being the ace of the universe. Not you, like on the middle of the, the Tanahashi <laughs> with like the, the afro thing he had going on at one point. Well, when he had that really curly like hair that was like dyed like orange it was terrible looking um but i've i've said this on the show at the time but like until i showed the photo today in a group uh text i don't think people realize like when he looked like that he looked like the cowardly lion from the wizard of oz and i mean like it's uncanny how much tanahashi looks like that guy in that one moment it's horrible yeah that was hilarious when you post that in the group chat um and uh dan a friend of the show dan coffin he posted uh dustin from stranger things <laughs> that was pretty funny as well yeah it's not that was not his uh his best look i don't know how we got to that but uh anybody that you think watto would uh look good with uh or anybody on the roster that you think would look good with watto's hair maybe we should be generous and give it to someone who's like bald like ishii i don't know <laughs> Uh, I, don't, I think Hiromu could pull off the blue hair as well. <laughs> yeah. Well, anyways, that uh, that's going to do it for our review of New Japan Golden Series, you know, night six. Uh, my biggest thoughts on it were, you know, nothing here that you needed to see, but there was like a lot of little storytelling elements. This was kind of your middle of the tour road to esque type of show, but Coming up very soon, we have a lot of bigger shows that this was sort of laying the groundwork and foundation for. Yeah, so we got a lot of big shows coming up um, in February, especially coming up this weekend. A lot of grudge matches, a lot lot of title matches. So, yeah, this kind of just setting the floor for what the rest of the month is going to look like. Uh, We do have some uh, breaking news here on on a talent announced for the aforementioned uh, Tampa show. Strong Style Evolved, the walking weapon, the former Impact champion, Josh Alexander, will be coming to Tampa for New Japan Strong. I mean, you know, I'm excited for that. I like Josh Alexander a lot. But, you know, around these parts, when you bring an Impact guy, it's not quite the same as bringing, like, say, an AEW guy. (laughs) Right. In terms of, like, in terms of interest, do you know what I mean? 
Yeah, not not sure how much that's going to increase ticket sales, but I'm a huge fan of Josh Alexander. He's done great on the two. I think he had like two or three strong matches now, um, and he's had an awesome run in Impact so far. So looking forward uh, for seeing Josh Alexander live here in Tampa. Yeah, I saw something about him having a really fantastic AAW match. It looked like it might have been against Mike Bennett. Mm. So we're going to have to check that out. Uh, you know, something to tell me that, you know, um, Josh Alexander might meet the threshold for excursion match of the year this year. So we'll see. Yeah. So some other news coming out of Monday's Golden Series tour leading into these this weekend shows. We had some injuries and some more COVID-19 protocols. So New Japan announced that Jeff Cobb is is currently recovering from a left patellar tendon tear and a muscle strain in his left leg following his match against Tetsuya Naito on January 5th. As a result, he will not be on the Golden Series Tour at all. Young Lion Yuto Nakashima is also out of action after suffering a blow to the head on February 7th and will be out up to February 13th. Additionally, Yoshihashi and Taiji Ishimori have been pulled from the February 11th event in Sendai due to COVID protocols. Cobb was originally set to team with Great Okan on the 11th against Kojima and Tenzon. Instead, Okan will face Kojima in a singles match and will continue to wrestle in singles matches for the rest of the tour including the February 13th event in Osaka where he will face Togi Makabe. Nakashima was originally set to take the team in the kickoff match on the 13th. Uh, that match has been changed to Oiwa, Kojima, and Tenzon facing Fujita, Hanma, and Nagata. A six-man tag that Yoshihashi was scheduled to be in will now have Tenzon take his place as he teams with Goto and Ishii to face Evil, Dick Togo, and Yujiro Takahashi. And then Gato will replace Ishimori in a singles match against Tiger Mask. Yeah. Um, part of me just feels like Nakanishi is looking at all this and being like, thank God I'm not still working there. <laughs> yeah. You he know, did. Call, no. <laughs> calling in Tenzon to all these spots that you just know they probably would have called him into, but he's like, thank God I'm not there. I could just eat Monster Mornings and watch the show. I don't have to take more bumps. It's great. Yeah. And yeah, interesting too with uh, Cobb. I know we were kind of speculating that maybe the reports of his injury uh, might have been false just because of the story of that rivalry, that match was so revolved around the leg of Cobb and Naito, you know, focused in on that leg. But it looks like he does have a legit injury here and it's going to miss the rest of this tour. Based off what? Based off the IWGP committee and their report to New Japan medical team. Oh, you just believe anything that anybody tells you, Jeremy? Let me tell you uh, a story about the IWGP committee, okay? No, I'm just playing. <laughs> but, um, you know, here's the thing. Could it be that he had some sort of pre-existing condition and they knew they were going to need to give him time off and they wanted to work it into the storyline so they had Naito target that leg and now they're parlaying that over to Okada to add some like intrigue and heat to that match. And it was all legit originally. That is possible. There's also the chance that his legs fine and he just was due for some time off and they're giving him that much needed time off from the tour, but they need to work it into a story. And they're just like, Oh yeah, Jeff, he's fucked. 
tendon tear, muscle strain, left leg's gone. Naito fucked him up. And now, <laughs> and now, you know, Jeff's like at home with family recouping. You know, he's good, but, you know, and all that. And then now Naito has an angle for his leg attacks on Okada. Or maybe it's all just happenstance, you know? Who knows? I, I'm not going to believe this. The fact that Naito's focusing so much on Okada's leg and then he focused on Cobb's leg, but now Cobb's leg is magically injured. Just it just sounds a little too convenient to me, honestly. Like, you know, it, it, wrestling's a carny business. You know, workers work, and uh, I'm not going to get worked. I'm too smart to get worked. You know what I'm saying? So, <laughs> so uh, you know, it's a work, bro. It's a work, and uh, anyone that believes it's not, you're a mark. <laughs> Well, uh, hopefully Cobb, whether injured or not, will be ready to go in March for the anniversary event and the New Japan Cup. I'm sure he will be uh, a big part in that if he's uh, ready to go. Hey, and if Jeff is uh, actually hurt and I'm wrong, then uh, this was all for comedic effect. I mean, no offense at all. and We really respect and love Jeff Cobb. <laughs> and I hope he's doing good. No, I mean that actually. But, uh, you know, that would suck to be like the guy that's like, he's faking it. And he's really hurt, you know? Yeah. Well, we got uh, two big shows coming up this weekend. We have a Golden Series show in Sendai, February 11th. And then we have a show on Sunday the 13th in Osaka. So on the Sendai show, we're going to have uh, the opening match of Tomioka Hanuma against Rohe Oiwa. We'll have a Suzuki team of Doki and Kanamaru against the LIJ team of Bushi and Hiromu Takahashi. Tenzan, Goto, and Ishii will take on Dick Togo, Ujiro, and Evil. Taguchi, Makabe, and Yana will take on Suzuki, Taichi, and Takamichinoku. Then we'll have a singles match, Satoshi Kojima versus Great Okan. Then Tanahashi, Okada, and Nagata will take on Tanada, Shingo, and Naito. Then we'll have uh, three singles matches to call it the show here. We'll have Tiger Mask taking on Gato. Yo taking on Sho. And then the main event will be for the IWGP Junior Heavyweight title match. El Desperado will defend the title against Master Wato of Team 6 or 9. Yeah, so, I mean, um, you know, the notable stuff on this show, Kojima no Khan, that's interesting. You were kind of uh, speculating on what they were going to do with him as far as the wins and as far as, like, a push. And, you know, because Cobb is out, he's going to be – just working singles for the rest of the tour. So there might be some smoke to that fire there. Um, but as far as the top of the card there, I mean, we've got Tiger Mask versus Ghetto and Yo versus Show. Um, obviously, Tiger Mask and Ghetto was supposed to be an Ishimori match, like we mentioned earlier. So sort of a preview for the junior tag titles. Uh, any intrigue there? What are you thinking on that match, Jeremy? Uh, yeah, not totally excited about that match. I mean, it's going to be Gato using all his uh, Bullet Club shenanigans, and it's going to be Grumpy Tiger Mask, which, which that might be fun watching Tiger Mask just being pissed off and trying to beat the crap out of Gato. But, I mean, I'm expecting a, a nice little three, a gentleman's three, uh, three-star affair, and Tiger Mask uh, getting the win. Yeah, I pretty much agree with you there. Um, not much to really unravel. It's probably going to be exactly what you would expect. Um Semi-main event, Yo and Show. 
you know, this is the feud that will never end, and it almost feels like it never really started. <laughs> it's the feud from Limbo, you know. Uh, I think this is the fourth major singles meeting of these two during this uh, breakup period. And um, I think, if I recall correctly, Yo is up two to one on show at this point, correct? Yes. Okay. So I don't know what to really expect here. What's going on with House of Torture and Chaos for the rest of the tour? Just like brief overview. So, House of Torture, they will be defending the Never Six Man titles um, at some point against Chaos. And then the. And Yo's in that match? Uh, No, I think it might be the original Chaos trio, if I remember correctly. Okay, gotcha. Um, And then the the Osaka show on Sunday, Evil defends the Never title against Ishii. Okay, so this is kind of one and done for Yo as far as this little feud is concerned. Concerned. I mean, I'm sure I'll still be doing some all-time end matches, but uh, yeah. I mean, I don't know. I'm not excited for it. I mean, they've they've had three oh, big uh, opportunities. Sorry, I, I'm wrong. Yo is in that never title match, that six man match. It's Yo, Yoshihashi, and Goto as the challenge. Oh, that changes everything. This is high stakes. <laughs> really interested in this match now. You know, it's got big implications for the six man tag team titles. <laughs> I don't know, man. Uh, you know, they've they've had four matches. You know, Super Juniors, you know, they had one in a big dome. They had another one in the Tokyo Dome. I mean, I feel like they've given them, like, big stages, big opportunities, and I don't feel like they've knocked it even kind of out of the park. Like, I don't think they've had a single match that would go, like, even above, what, three and a half? Um, And considering the talents that are involved, that just seems so ludicrous. Um, Hopefully they bring some of that same fire that we saw featured during this most recent preview tag match but um i know this is gonna sound fucked up but like i don't really know who's gonna win and i don't really think it matters (laughs) so i'm just gonna say push on this one literally like i I don't know it's insignificant to me i'm gonna go with yo just to kind of even up things and but if yo wins that he'll be three to one Mm. Oh, that's right. So Yo is up on the rock. Yeah. Um, yeah, because we thought we all thought Show was going to win at the Tokyo Dome, and then he did. So it's like I don't know. I don't know what to expect here. But uh, the the one thing that the only thing that would matter to me is if they have a good match. Can can you guys just have a good match, Yo and Show? Three K, three K, three K. Can you go out there and like just give me like a fucking banger? You're supposed to be like two of the best juniors out there. Yeah, this is like make or break at this point. Like, you, you got the main event spot. It's a big spot on this show. Like, you gotta you gotta deliver here. Like, here's a chance. It's a last chance for these guys. Yeah, and considering like the state the junior division is in, and you got Desperado defending the title at the top, you would imagine that potentially whoever wins this might be in contention for that title. Um. You know, with that being the case, I kind of feel like, I don't know, maybe Show should be the guy that wins so he could be, like, the next challenger for Despy. I don't know. Uh, I'm not sure. I mean, I guess that makes sense, but I'm not really that interested in a House of Torture show versus Despy. Is there anybody on this roster that you'd be interested to see Desperado wrestle that's a junior, period, other than Hiromu Takahashi? 
maybe Eagles, ELP. See what I'm saying? Yeah. There's not, there's not much out there. Yeah. So, yeah, I guess, yeah, that's a, that's a good shout. Yeah, show winning and then coming at the challenge, the winner of Despi and Wanto. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. Who knows, man? That's what's, I don't know. That's my that's my prediction. Show wins. Show's going to cheat. He's going to win. And be, you know what? He's probably going to be desperate for the title next, too. Oh. Fucking cheating. <laughs> so I think we're all we're on the same page that uh, Despy is uh, going to retain over uh, Mr. S- one half of six or nine here. This is not looking to be a top notch uh, show. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think show wins here. Um, as far as Desperado goes, yeah, I think he's going to retain against Watto. This is actually a match that I am excited for because uh, Watto hasn't headlined in a big singles role in a long time. And I think the last time he did was against Desperado in the, in the Super Juniors two years ago. And he beat Desperado at that time. So, you know, maybe they're, they've been telling a little bit of a low-key story where he's got Desperado's number. We've, we haven't noticed. But uh, I think Despy's going to beat Watto here. And uh, it'll be interesting to see what happens post-match. Um, whether like the winner of show or yo has enough time to like recoup and come out challenge or, you know, maybe some of those outside guys that they teased before, like L Lindemann or T Hawk or, you know, Shima, one of the strong hearts guys comes out or something else, you know, I don't know. Yeah. It'll be interesting to see. Uh, yeah. I'd be really surprised if Watto somehow ended up with a title here. Um, I think it's going to be, you know, Despi's uh, big run here after, you know, beating Hiromu in the Tokyo Dome. Um, so, yeah, Despi's going to get the win here. And then, yeah, I think the big key here is who's going to be the, the next challenger, like you mentioned. The key here for me is to have a good match. Don't make me tune into the show and give me five singles matches and, you know, nothing noteworthy because that's what they're, they, we got to, Hanma versus Oiwa, we got Kojima versus Okan, Tiger Mask versus Ghetto, Yo versus Sho, Despi versus Watto. And I mean, those aren't the most compelling matchups, but you got five of them. That's pretty rare for a uh, Road 2 style Golden Series show. So give me something, you know? Let me stick my teeth into something here. You know what I mean? Yeah. Hey, Kojima and Okan could be like the the sleeper of the night that ends up being the, the match of the night. Could be. Um, I would put my money on Desperado and Watto, though. And, uh, you know, this is, a, again, a big test for Watto. We'll see where, where he is in his uh, upward mobility and trajectory. So um, I've got faith in him based on his recent performances, and I think that they could actually have a very good match. Yeah, I think it should be a, a good matchup, good main event for this show here. The next night, um, this is on February the 12th. What day is that? Sunday. Okay, so the Sunday show, New Japan, New Year's Golden Series 2022, night 10. Uh, we open up with a multi-man match, Fujita, Oiwa, and Tenzan. They'll be taking on Nagata, Fujita, and Honma. Match two, we got the cast team of Goto, Yo, and Yoshihashi taking on the House of Torture team of Dick Togo, Sho, and Yujiro Takahashi. Match number three, we got Togi Makabe against Great Okan in singles action. Fourth match, we have Doki, Taichi, and Hanamaru taking on the LIJ team of Bushi, Hiromu, and Shingo. Fifth match of the night, Wato, Taguchi, and Yano will be taking on the Suzuki-Gun team of Desperado, Minoru Suzuki, and Taka Michinoku. 
Six match of the night, singles action, Tiger Mask versus El Fantasmo, a preview of the upcoming junior title tag team match. Seventh match of the night, Taiji Shimori against Robbie Eagles. I'm assuming that that could maybe potentially be changed, but as of right now, it seems to be the same, correct? Yes. Okay. So, you know, two pre- two singles preview matches leading to the junior tag team titles. Eighth match of the night, the, the never open weight title lumberjack match as evil defense his title against Tomohiro Ishii. And then in the main event, we have Tanahashi and Okada taking on the LIJ team of Sonata and Tetsuya Naito. So a little bit of a stronger card here. Still, we got a lot of uh, singles matches here as well. Um, obviously, the big matchups here, the last uh, four matchups. Um, so we got, like you mentioned, the preview match with Tiger Mask and ELP and Ishimori and Eagles. Hopefully, Ishimori will be cleared for that show. Um, I could definitely see, you know, the Heyman special being run here where the the finish of Tiger Mask and ELP rolls right into the Ishimori and Robbie Eagles match. Uh, but those should be some fun matches uh, and really good. And then, you know, the big question mark here with the uh, never open weight lumberjack match. Uh, we saw Evil give Ishii his worst uh, match ever um, this past <laughs> Wrestle Kingdom. Um, and, you know, Gator decided to run it back again as a lumberjack match. Yeah, I mean, I've never been a big fan of lumberjack matches, and I'm not a big fan of Evil versus Ishii in any form or, you know, iteration at all at this point. So, um, you know, adding more stipulations to an already shenanigans-filled Evil match does not spell, you know, that, that doesn't sound like it's going to work out it, to me, but, uh, you know, I don't know. Like, th- this is just where I'm at. The same way where I was with the show match, I'm kind of just writing off House of Torture matches, you know. We'll cover them because it's for the show, but, I mean, at no point in the four years that we've been doing this show have I ever been so apathetic and so disinterested in any individual or group or storyline or aspect of this company. I mean, it is just total shit. It is dog shit. It sucks. It is not good. It is the opposite of good. It is the opposite of what New Japan is. It is bullcrap. I don't want even, I don't even want to see, I don't care if Ishii beats Evil because Evil has sullied the good name of the Never Open Way title by having lumberjack matches. Like, I don't give a fuck. <laughs> like, yeah, I hope Ishii wins. I don't want to watch this match. It's going to suck. Yeah, not expecting great things here. Uh, you know, with Ishii, like we mentioned, being advertised for the Lone Star Shootout and Windy City Riot, um, it makes me kind of think maybe he might win the Never title so you can do um, some Never title matches on uh, both of those shows. Uh, but Evil did just win it. So, uh, I don't know. It's kind of a toss-up here. I'm just going to... It is the never title. Right. It could, it could flop hands. I'm just, You know, I'm, I'm going to throw some hope out there. Uh, I'm, I'm just going to say, you know, Big Tom gets the win, holds down the never title, you know, you know, reclaims it and tries to restore it back to, to what it should be uh, and gets the win over evil here. 
Well, it's like you're damned if you do, damned if you don't. If evil wins, right, then the Never title is held hostage on this guy that sucks and all everything that that's involved in, right? Mm-hmm. But then it keeps evil away from other title pictures. You know, he can't be involved in top line feuds and world title stuff if he's preoccupied with the Never Belt. On the flip side, I would love for Ishii to be the guy that has the Never title because then at that point, the Never title kind of resumes the former role that it's had in the past, which is an important function of the existence of that title. But then that, but then on the op- opposite side is if Evil loses, he could fail up and he could go for the U.S. belt or he could go for the world title and he could be a viable contender for the for um, not KOPW, for the uh, – uh, New Japan Cup, which are all things I don't want to see happen. So it's like I just want them to get evil the fuck out of this company. That like I hate House of Torture. Yeah, it, it's horrible. And like I, it's horrible. I, I saw a poll on Reddit on New Japan Reddit, you know, talking about I forgot exactly what it was, but something about like you know, dude, I saw that poll. Like, I thought that poll was bullshit. Like getting, do you want House of Torture to go away? But most people said uh, yes. I thought. Yeah, no, there. I saw a poll that was, like, most disgusting promotional tactic, and most of the things that they were trying to say were, like, terrible things were, like, things that weren't even big deals or things that New Japan didn't have control over, you yeah. know? But then House of Torture was one of them, and it, it like, by far had the most votes. Like, the, the next closest thing was, like, merging the, the double belts. But, yeah. Uh, I don't yeah. think they don't. They're not realizing that the House of Torture is not getting the right kind of heat they want. You know, here's the thing, and we'll move on after this. Um, there's probably some people listening right now that are maybe frustrated, maybe not, but maybe frustrated with House of Torture, but or or maybe they like the product as is. I don't know, and maybe they're hearing me complain and being like, "Well, if you don't like it, don't watch it," you know. But here's the thing. When you love something, when you love something, you truly love it, you have to hate things that are the opposite of it. And what I love about New Japan is fucking great wrestling. And the House of Torture is the antithesis of what I love about New Japan. So I have to use my voice (laughs) to call out how shitty Watanabe is and how shitty Dick Togoism is and how bad. I mean, bro. This is so bad. It makes, like, it is one of the, like, anytime people try to be like, New Japan's down bad, you know, that they'll throw out whatever they want to say, and I can usually refute it. But then they're like, Dick Togo in the House of Torture. I'm like, you got me. I can't say shit. You're right. That sucks. <laughs> like, there's, there's no, it's indefensible. It's horrible. Right. It's, it, it's, it's, it's so a bad. huge black eye. When you look at there's so much other stuff good that's happening in the promotion right now. You have Okada and Naito getting ready to have a big match. Uh, Sonata and Tanahashi is a cool matchup. Um, you know, New Japan Cup's right around the corner and guys are going to be back for that tournament. Um, there's, you know, there's the... the uh, the world title picture, the there's so much stuff. The tag title picture, uh, you know, of Dangerous Techers, and they just lost to Goto and Yoshihashi. Like, there's been so much cool stuff happening. Wrestle Kingdom was awesome, but then you just have House of Torture there, that's just mucking everything up. Yeah, well, you know, it is what it is. So we can move on. 
the main event here, we got Tanahashi and Okada, the Mega Aces. I know that they want to coin the team, the the term the Dream Team. They're not the fucking Dream Team. <laughs> yeah. They're the Mega Aces, all right? And they're taking on Sonata and Naito. And uh, it is a tough one because, you know, in the past, they've been uh, competing in six-man tags where there's been a designated pin eater on the Mega Aces side. And in this case, you've got, you know, a tag team with four guys that are all involved in, uh, you know, big upcoming title feuds. And there's not a readily available pin eater and so one of three things basically has to happen here. We either need to see a champion defeating a challenger, a challenger defeating one of the champions, or they might go the way that they've been going in situations like this most recently where they go the time limit. And if I had to bet, that's what I'm guessing they're going to do. Yeah, I forgot. Yeah, they, they've done a couple of time limit draws like this, where they have the champion challenger kind of tag match like this. Um, the only th- other thing I was thinking, you know, that there's a few things that are certain in this this life: death, taxes, and mega aces lose a big tag match. That's true. That's true. So I was thinking, you know, Naito or Sonata could uh, get the win here. Maybe you, you have Sonata. Um, That's who I would have it. I'd have Sonata beat Tanahashi. Yeah, and then that puts some doubt into that match, and you'd think, oh, you know, Sonata pinned him in this tag match. Maybe Sonata can win the U.S. belt. Uh, yeah, you're probably right. It's probably He's probably going to hit him with that European clutch. Right. But, I mean, I, I could see them going the, the, the time limit draw also if they really want to protect these guys. If they were smart, they would have Sonata put Tanahashi in the uh, oh, Paradise the, Lock. The, the, yeah, the Paradise Lock, and then have Naito on the outside put Okada in a figure four so Okada can't, like, interfere, and then Sonata just leaves him there. <laughs> and then and then Tanahashi can't get out, and, and he can't defend himself, and the referee has no other choice but to award the victory to Sonata. Hey, it's, it's a strategy. You can try it. I mean... I don't. I don't know why Sonata always gets them out of the lock. He should just leave them in the lock. They can't get out anyways. He's won the match. Right. You know, it, should, it should be a, a ref stoppage. Ref stoppage immediately. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um. But hopefully that match is good. Um. You know, in a certain way, this sounds better. But like, I don't know. Evil versus Ishii doesn't sound better. You know, a tag match that might be good, but might go the time limit. Uh, I don't know. And then you know, I don't know. I'm not convinced that this show actually is stronger than the first nights. Yeah, it might not be. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, that's what we got coming up uh, Saturday and Sunday. So you know, big, big, <laughs> big Golden Series, uh, you know, tour shows coming up, and uh, can't wait. We already covered the uh, Minoru Suzuki Toriano KOPW stipulations. Uh, do we want to talk lines for? Yeah, we had Lions Roar episode five this past week. Uh, what'd you think? Really liked this episode. Uh, one of the biggest things that they're just really getting across uh, through each episode is the amount of physical hard work that these guys put in um, in their preparation and in their training to be professional wrestlers. I mean, 
we kind of experienced that to a similar, not similar degree, but to a smaller degree um, in the, the late 90s, early 2000s when Tough Enough first made the airways for MTV and everything like that. You kind of got a taste of what, what it took for, you know, up and comers to become pro wrestlers. But like, I don't know that any show has ever gone as in depth the way that Lions War has to really just showcase what a real, uh, true top end professional wrestling camp is like. And I mean, it's kind of insane the amount of calisthenics and cardio and, you know, just physical exertion that these guys are going through. And in a certain way, I think it's important because, you know, you have a lot of shit talkers out there. Wrestling fans like to talk shit, you know, mm-hmm. and even on this podcast, I mean, we do it. That's how we pay the bills. You know, <laughs> we, we rate matches, we rate wrestlers, we give our opinions, our takes. But at the end of the day, like, you know, we can talk all the shit we want about a bad luck folly match. But when you see what it, what, what it takes for a guy to have gone through the dojo and the dues they paid and everything like that, it makes you gain a, much greater sense of respect and admiration for the performers to understand what it takes to perform on the level that they do for this company. And it it does bring some things into perspective. And, you know, I'm kind of rallying behind a couple of these guys, especially Michael Richards, Mm -hmm. but man, these guys are fucking crazy, dude. Yeah, dude, there's some crazy training. You know, one of the key themes of of this episode was focusing on these guys cleaning. They, um, kept messing the, the toilet and not cleaning the toilet. Uh, one of the guys uh, took a dump before the workout and didn't flush it when Folly went to check. And so he had a, a special workout plan. They went to this huge uh, mountain. I forget the name of the, the mountain they went to. Uh, they had essentially had to, like, run, uh, you know, laps around this huge uh, mountain. It's, like, one of the highest peaks in uh, New Zealand. So that's just seeing that crazy, just uh, how – what a crazy setup that was to have to do that and just how intense that was. And then they went to that, the one beach with the, the black sand and doing the bear crawls and, and wrestling and the fireman carries and the wheel real barrel, barrel uh, race kind of thing. And just sumo. Yeah. The sumo wrestling on, on the beach. It's like, man, like those guys, like you mentioned, man, they, they're, they're crazy. And they, they put it all out there and, you know, they were highlighting the one guy, I believe his name was Will. Avril or something like that um and you know his he was saying you know, his friends are like are, are you in a cult like you guys have to you know go to bed at a certain time wake up you have to clean you have to you know all do all this training and stuff like that and yeah it, it's a crazy lifestyle and if you, you want to be dedicated you want to be a part of new japan like this is what you have to go through uh to get there um yeah, man. If you guys are not watching Lions Roar, you need to be watching it. Top notch production, um, you know, great footage. Like it, it's just the only thing I think it needs. I think it would really benefit from having a stronger narrative approach to it. I think that like uh, the production's fantastic, but they need someone to kind of cobble this like footage together with some sort of narration. Not that there needs to be a vocal narrator, but some stronger sense of story, you know, and that's the one, that's the only real criticism I have, but putting that aside, I mean, this show's fantastic. I think it's one of the best English language projects that they've had on New Japan World 
so far. And uh, I'm a big, big, big fan of the show. And I can't wait to see, you know, the, the full outcome of it once it's all, it's all done, ready and played. And uh, again, if you guys aren't watching it, five episodes in, 20 minutes each, I mean, that's like, you know, 100 minutes, you know, you can get that in. Yeah, real easy watches. They they breeze by, um, you know, a great mix of showing the training and then interviewing a couple of the guys in the training. Uh, thought it was interesting, you know, this week's guy, Will, you know, he, you know, thought he was doing, you know, good. And then Fale, it's like he's like one of the guys that Fale kind of has an issue with and uh, feel like he's not on all the time. And uh, but, you know, he was very, you know, arrogant. He. Cut a little promo there, and I, I can see the charisma coming out of him, and I definitely feel like he uh, has some potential there. Uh, you know, he's all right promo. He doesn't promo like me, but he's all right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, yeah, overall, it's an, another solid episode here of Lion's Roar, and it looks like this thing's going to be rolling out, like, all throughout March as well, looking at the New Japan World schedule. So several more episodes to come. All right, so we're going to move into some other uh, news items here. So this coming week on Access, they continue their countdown of the classic episode. This week it's going to be Hiroshi Tanahashi versus Jay White from the New Beginning 2019. Then in other news... Remember how great that promo was that Jay White cut after he beat Tanahashi in this match? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Spoiler alert. He he, he wins the title from Tanahashi. <laughs> Yeah, this was, uh, yeah, after Tanahashi had beaten Kenny at Wrestle Kingdom, and then, yeah, Jay swoops in, gets a title, and heads to uh, Madison Square Garden. Hey, you know, Omega couldn't beat Tanahashi, and Tanahashi couldn't beat Jay White. That tells us that Jay White is better than Omega, so it makes sense <laughs> to me. Uh, and in other Bullet Club news, the crown jewel Chase Owens has re-signed with NJPW. We had the, the tweet last week where he said his contract was up, and now he has re-signed a new contract saying that he will be with New Japan for a very long time, which I don't think anybody was really surprised about. I was. Thank God. Okay? <laughs> thank God. Yeah, I know thank you. TK was knocking the doors down. Vinny Mac, you know, had, Vinny? had a big uh, NXT 2.0 offer ready for him. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I, I heard those guys from Shape Your Own Narrative. They were trying to, you know, get Chase to sign with them. You know, Terminus was calling him. Josh Barnett wanted him for Bloodsport. I mean, they, you know, all that. So, thank God, you know. Yes, but he, he chose Shinihon Pro Rest. <laughs> uh, and then last thing here, I know last week we mentioned the results from Rev Pro High Stakes, but we've had a chance to watch some of the matches from this show. And Josh, I know you wanted some time to talk about this. Um, so what matches did you see from High Stakes? So I watched everything that was New Japan adjacent. I did not watch the Aussie Open match, although I heard good things about the British title match with them and some uh, sunshine machine. Um, you know, so... I heard that was very good, but, uh, you know, the, the show started off with Coglin against Gideon Gray in a surprise kind of impromptu comedy type match. One minute, 43 seconds. Um, Coglin went out there and kind of just beat the shit out of Gideon Gray and just like pinned him real quick. Alex looked 
amazing as he has been looking. I mean, he's in top-notch physical peak condition right now. And, yeah, uh, really broke out the the new gear. No longer a young lion. Yeah, and uh, got over with the local crowd, so that was cool. Did, did you see all this stuff or no? So I saw Coglin uh, versus Gideon Gray. I saw Umino versus Suji, and then I saw Osprey and Oku. I didn't get to, to catch the kid um, Akira match, which I heard was great, so I didn't go back and, and watch that. Gotcha. So, yeah, obviously, Umino versus Suji, interesting match. The story here being that Suji is teamed up with uh, Gideon Gray's group, but he was kind of brought in against his will. So they're heels, but he kind of is leaning face, but they're trying to win him over. And, you know, they set up this match with him and Shota, who they both obviously have ties back to their young lion days. So it's sort of like friends, but they're being forced into uh, an issue as, you know, combatants. Um, I thought the match was very, very good. Um, I don't think that this is their final form by any means. But I still was very entertained. I thought they kicked it up into a higher gear. Um, I went four stars on the match, which is pretty great. And uh, I, I'm real based on what I saw here. I'm seeing a lot of positive growth out of both Suji and Amino. Yeah, it was a really good match. I'm a little bit lower than you. I'm more in the, the three and a half range. Um, oh wow. <laughs> Um, I felt the opening of the match was a little bit slow, and that is because they were kind of telling the whole story of the Legion's guy, you know, uh, uh, Phillips trying to help Suji, and Suji not wanting his help, and I felt it was kind of slow, but then kind of after Suji hit him with the cane, they kind of picked up into a whole other gear, and the, the last half of the match was really good. Yeah, I don't deny that at all. Um, that's pretty true i just felt like uh once they got the outside tactics part kind of away the match picked up but even some of the um you know the whole thing with suji being conflicted and then i thought he had really good facials in the moment where yeah. he teased that he was turning heel and then turned on his own guy to prove that he's still a baby face i even that stuff i ate it up i liked all that yeah that was great and i, I love suji's look the the tights that he's wearing i think he looks he looks great. Um, yeah, I'm digging his his excursion look and the crazy. He was really over the crowd. It seemed like the crowd was more in Asuji than they were Umino, which is kind of crazy because Umino is somebody that they've been pushing pretty hard and has had title matches and you know still represents the whole the Death Rider thing. With Mox, the crowd was really into Asuji here and you know wanting him to still be face and they they popped when he. You know, turned on on Phillips and uh, him and Uman were kind of just having a more uh, straight up match. Well, I looked on match guide. They're six point eight eight on the match. Dave went three and a half. So you know, right in line with where you're at. So maybe I was a little high in this. I I don't know. I'm probably a mark for the for the Lions, whatever. Uh, but I liked it a lot. I recommend it. I, I I mainly just recommend it for the sake of seeing these guys in their developmental phase and we know they're coming back. So I feel like it's kind of sem semi-important, you know? Yeah. And you know, these two are going to wrestle in their full form again in Japan. So this is going right. to be one of those things where we look back at our rivalries. Like, oh, remember high stakes 2022 when they faced off. Right. I agree with Suji's look too. I think he's been watching some Vulcan videos and some, uh, some old uh, shoot style stuff because that's kind of what he's looking like there, and I think I might want to steal some of his uh, his look as well. I don't I don't give a fuck. 
Yeah. <laughs> he, he did a suicide dive, which was uh, pretty cool for a guy his size. Yeah, I agree. Um, as far as uh, the other stuff here, uh, Gabe Kidd against uh, Francesco Akira was fantastic. 14 minutes, 45 seconds. Uh, it's got an 8.7 on cage match. Dave went four and a half. I went four and a half on this as well. I agree with uh, the question uh, asker last week that asked, could it potentially be an excursion match to your candidate? I think it's right on the cusp of being nominated. I can't say for sure, but it's not far off. And um, man, they went out there and like, I kind of thought that him and, uh, oh, by the way, so the deal is Francesco Akira was working for All Japan, but I think he might not be currently since he hasn't worked for them in a bit and has just been back in England. So I don't know what the relationship is there specifically. But, uh, you know, this was Gabe Kidd's return after being in Japan for all these years. And so, um, you know, Francesco Akira, he's also from the UK. So you've got two guys that both spent the majority of the uh, pandemic in Japan working for rival companies, both guys growing, you know, Francesco Akira winning a title while he was with All Japan. Gabe Kidd kind of like, you know, he was he was a guy in England that was like a title holder and he kind of gave up his status as like a you know a regional champion type guy and made himself humble to go back into the dojo system to relearn everything and so this is kind of like the big return for both of these guys and they're kind of like opposite sides of the same coin and i sort of thought they'd go out there and have a uh you know, a British catch is catch. Some of the stuff we've seen with Game Kid, you know, a lot of that classical wrestling mixed in with the hard hitting. No, they just started fucking brawling right from the get go. And uh, the big story of the match was Game Kid using his size and physicality because he's a much bigger man than Francesco Akira is physically and uh, just kind of imposing his will on him. And Akira trying that fight from Game Kid the entire time. But it became very clear that you were looking at a a heavyweight versus a true junior is what was on display here. But these guys, they let it all hang out. Crazy stuff on the outside, crazy stuff on the rampway. Uh, just, you know, I, this was awesome. And I mean, four and a half for a sub 15 minute match, huge recommend. If you haven't seen it, this is one you need to go out of your way to definitely watch. And then, um, we both saw the Osprey Oku match, which I think we have, you know, glowing positive, you know, rave reviews for that match as well. Yeah, this match was incredible. And just the whole, everything about the presentation, the video package, and just the whole story of the match, uh, you know, before the match, like these guys both agreed that this match could not stop by referee stoppage. Like it had to, to end with a pinfall or submission. Um, and this was kind of a very personal rivalry. Osprey bought tickets for uh, Oku's uh, parents and girlfriend to be there to to watch him uh, beat up Oku and beat Oku, and they played a big role in the match. Um, so you had the whole video package leading up. You had you know Osprey with his you know big dramatic entrance that we saw at Wrestle Kingdom, but he tweaked it. Now that he's no longer the the, uh, the real world champion, so it just showed like all his highlights, you know, 
best of the super junior winner, junior title winner, never champion, um, you know, IWGP world champion, and showing all these people he, he's beaten. And this is a big, long, more dramatic version of his theme kicks in, and he comes out and just looks like a star. Um, these guys had a hell of a matchup here, and it was just, you know, the, the bigger Osprey bullying Oku a, a lot throughout the match. Um, and the whole, you know, no ref stoppage would come into a play with um, Osprey pushing Oku off the top. He goes crashing into the, the timekeeper area, he's bleeding. Um, and he and Osprey's just beating him down, trying to you know get him to quit, but you know there's no stoppage there. And um, there's a point where uh, Oku's girlfriend throws her drink in Osprey's face, and he pulls her uh, out of the crowd, and the crowd is losing it. And uh, she is a wrestler, and so she she knows how to work. So um, it's obviously a planned spot there. And then Oku comes out of nowhere, it's like a bat out of hell with a huge drop kick, and is just. Going crazy on Osprey after touching um, his girlfriend. And there's also a lot of uh, crazy back and forth spots here, but the finish was really awesome, especially with this whole no stoppage uh, stipulation. Yeah, um, everything that you laid out there, that stuff was all um, very evident and prevalent to me as well. Um, the early parts of the match, though, the, just the fast-paced offense and exchanges kind of harken back to the earlier days of Will Ospreay's like high-flying style that we're used to seeing, and he he kind of broke out some of that stuff against Michael Oku, some of the the old hits that we haven't heard for a long time, and then Oku obviously is a, a up-and-coming high-flying type guy as well, the current cruiserweight champion of Rev Pro, and you know his physicality was on display as well as far as his athleticism goes, and. It, you know, the first probably like 20 minutes of the match, if you just were to watch that, you'd still come away thinking this match was really fantastic. You know, you know, your super indie kind of high athleticism, high flying sort of dream match. But it was the story elements and Will Ospreay really being this incredible 70s slash 80s style heel against the you know, white meat baby face of Michael Oku. And like you mentioned, integrating the girlfriend, integrating the parents, integrating all these different things, you know, that uh, at, at a certain point, double juice, both Will and Michael Oku bleeding profusely um, towards the tail end of the match. I mean, the match goes over 40 minutes and it didn't feel like it whatsoever. Uh, numerous, you know, finisher attempts, numerous reversals, you know, kickouts of finishers, all of that was on display. But at the very, very end here, um, Osprey just starts barraging Michael Oku with uh, hidden blades, hidden blades to the back of the head, hidden blades to the front of the head. And then at one point, it just looked like uh, he was going to try to beat him with the hidden blade. And, you know, Michael Oku kicked out a couple of them. And it was like, wow, this kid's really like, you know, his, his heart is on display. But then he took one, and you're like, oh, shit, it's over. And Will goes to pin him, and at two, he lifts him up. And then he hits him with another hidden blade, and then he goes to pin him, and then he lifts him up. And this just went on and on and on. And then you're like, oh, shit, this kid's going to have, like, brain trauma. Like, this is, <laughs> this is getting, and you know, uh, I don't know. They, obviously, it's a worked move. I don't know how hard he hits the guys with that move. But, like, it just became super compelling when, like, 
the the family is like calling for the match to stop and they're you know wanting to stop the match and they're you know according to the rules there there can't be a stoppage and then you know um his manager or whoever it was is standing uh, up his tag tag partner his tag partner he's got the white uh you know the towel and he's trying to throw it in and the girlfriend is like kind of i couldn't tell if she was imploring him to do it or not do it but, uh, to me, it seemed like she was saying do it, and then Oku's like, no, don't do it. And so the tag partner is conflicted. Uh, uh, I, I want to do what's right for his partner's okay. health, but at the same time, uh, want to respect his partner's wishes. And so, yeah, he was stuck in a tough spot, but ultimately he decides not to do it. No, he did throw it in. No, he, the, the girlfriend got it, and the girlfriend threw it in. Ah, uh, okay. Either way, it doesn't matter because the towel was thrown in, but there was already stipulation in place. The match cannot end by stoppage. You know, the, so the referee didn't stop the match. What ends up happening is she throws it in thinking they're going to stop it. And Will Ospreay takes it, like, throws it right back in her face, picks this man up, hits him with the uh, whatever his finish is called. The uh, Stormbreaker. Hits <laughs> him with the Stormbreaker. One, two, three. Like, adding insult to injury, like, it was like incredible, and I mean the heat that this guy got, and the the dramatic fashion of this finish. I mean, it was really one to remember. Yeah, and, only, and and not only did he throw a towel, he wiped Oku's blood in it first, then threw a towel in her face. Well, okay, see, I couldn't remember if he used it to hit the sleep or to hit the uh, the stormbreaker, or if he did that. Yeah, I knew he did something. Yeah, he uses it to wipe his face, and then throws it right in her face. And I mean, like, bro, oh my god. Um, very emotional, incredible storytelling. Um, I think Michael is fantastic, but like Will Ospreay is like he's gone to another level, man. Like it's kind of nuts. Yeah, dude, he's just he keeps getting better and better and better. And you know, it's one of those things that like we talk about with the young bucks. People want to complain, and all you know, they're they're flippy do guys. You know, Ospreay's a flippy do guy. He doesn't tell stories. He's you no know, psychology. Blah 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 blah. Well, if you're saying that, that just proves to me that you're not watching this guy's body of work, especially in the last several years, especially as being a heavyweight. We're seeing more uh, of the psychology, more stories being told. Um, he's not just flipping the flip. Like, his flips are put in the right place to, to emphasize um, stuff in the matchup like it was done here. Um, and, he, and he's telling compelling stories, especially as a heel. He knows yeah. the right buttons to press, and he already knows that everybody pretty much hates him anyway. Um, so he's just leaning into it and, you know, having, like you mentioned, having the girlfriend out there and, and being able to put her his hands on her and getting her involved, like, that built him super heat. And, you know, Oku, he has a special crowd connection with this Rev Pro fan base, and they're always behind him in these big match situations. So they were super behind him anytime he fired up and, Got big comebacks on Osprey. There was one great reversal uh, of something Osprey was trying to do, where he got him right into that half crab that he—that's I guess one of his finishers—and and the crowd. Well, oh, the, I'm sorry. Go ahead. And the crowd was losing their mind. Well, all throughout the match, he kept uh, countering into the half crab, which I think is one of Michael Oku's like finishers. Yeah, and he he kept compromising Will Osprey by putting him in the half crab. But Will kept finding ways to get out of it. And then, like you mentioned, towards the tail end, he like he had a half crab. I've never seen anyone sink one in this deep because like 
was wrenching all the way back, but then he bridged all the way to where their heads were touching. That's how far back he was pulling on Will's leg. Will still found a way to get out. Like, it was really compelling, man. Like, uh, this is definitely excursion match near contender. It's right up there with Doki and Tai Chi from uh, uh, tai, tai Chi Taka Mania 3. So, I mean, we've already got two, like, leading contenders for that uh, that award right now already. Yeah, I, I went uh, four and three quarters on this matchup uh, just simply because, you know, there was there were some spots that Oku uh, kind of botched a little bit, a couple springboard stuff that didn't quite hit the way they're supposed to, but still it's a fantastic match, fantastic storytelling. Uh, there was a lot of uh, callbacks from guys that Osprey faced. Like Oku hit a tombstone at one point and attempted to, to hit him with the Rainmaker and, and the commentary kind of calling that um, Osprey's kryptonite and Sokata always yeah. beats him. That was a great callback. Um, Oku hits a Styles Clash, which AJ is a former Rev Pro champion, and AJ and Osprey have faced off before. Uh, so that was a nice little another callback right there. Yeah, I agree with all of that. Everything you said from the rating, from the reason why you gave that rating, the callbacks, all of it, just fantastic stuff. Uh, but yeah, if you haven't seen it, Definitely check it out. Uh, let's move on. We got a couple questions here. Then we're going to wrap up the show. Yep. So question here from Reddit user Mandraker17. For you, which current or former LA Dojo graduate graduates, Young Lions, has the brightest future? For me right now, I'm all in on Alex Coggle. Yeah, Coughlin, he's going to be great, and I, I'm definitely behind him. But I think for me right now, I'm all in on Gabriel Kidd. Yeah, I knew you were going to say that. <laughs> uh, I think I think where Coughlin has the edge, I think Gabe Kidd's a terrible promo. Yeah. Uh, well, maybe not. Like, I think as a heel, he might be a really – like, he's not a bad promo. I shouldn't say that. He's a good talker. I just don't – he's, he's annoying. <laughs> to hear speak. So like he might be a really good heel one day but uh yeah I mean he in terms of who's the best wrestler out of the crop it's Gabe Kidd. Uh in terms of who I think has the most upside I think it's Alex Coughlin. Look at the guy. Look at him. Look at him. <laughs> He's amazing. Yeah. Uh next question here from user Ghost of Doc Gonzo. It kind of seems as if New Japan is positioning Osprey to be the company's top heel going forward. Do you guys think this could lead to a push for all of United Empire and then possibly overtaking Bullet Club as the top heel faction? You know, um, possibly. It's really hard to say. Right now, It's to me, it feels like that position of top heel is sort of in limbo with Jay being over in the States and, you know, the whole experiment with evil kind of, not working out and the experiment of Osprey as top heel kind of not working out. There doesn't seem to be a definitive top big bad or big bad faction. And, um, you know, I don't feel like, I feel like the United Empire is a strong unit, but I don't feel, I don't see them selling merch and moving tickets and, and being this cultural phenomenon the way the Bolt Club was, not is, but was. And at the same time, I don't see anybody in the company really doing what the Bullet Club was able to do back then. Um, you know, for the time being, it still seems like LIJ is the top, you know, as far as popularity and relevancy goes, top faction in the 
the company and probably will be for some time coming. Um, I'm, I'm not bought in that the United Empire can be what we thought it might have been able to have been initially. I think a lot of what's gone on with COVID has hurt them. Uh, that's not to say that I don't think that Will Ospreay is not going to be a top player in the company. I do think he will be. But I'm just not bought in on the idea that they're going to establish United Empire as the top heel faction and push out Bullet Club. Which, for the record, I think Bullet Club is uh, donezo. I think they're long gone. You know, I think their best days are behind them, and I don't think they're coming back. I, I think that's a, a group that they need to uh, take out the pasture and... Yeah, I saw there are people in the the Reddit, New Japan Reddit, asking, you know, how can you fix Bull Club? And somebody asked us the same thing in one of the the fan groups or message uh, Facebook groups that we're a part of. You know, what can you say, Bull Club? How can you make Bull Club relevant again? And I agree with you on that. And I think Bull Club it, it's run its course. It's done its thing. I honestly, I think it's time to get rid of the group, create a new faction, have these guys do all those guys do something different. I still think you can have G.O.D. be a team. You can still have E.L.P. and Taiji be a team. But I think, you know, overall, they should just disband it and just kind of do something different. Um, as far as uh, United Empire um, and Osprey being a top heel, uh, I think the thing that's going to hurt that positioning, like you mentioned, is just the is COVID and restrictions and how often those guys get in the country. I feel like if there were no restrictions, you could have, you know, if I'm being a top heel, when you have Osprey and Cobb and Ocon and Nare and Aussie Open and TJP, if you had all those guys in Japan at the same time, I definitely think they could be the top heel faction and run roughshod over uh, Chaos and Huntai. And unlike House of Torture, they would be able to deliver uh, excellent matchups on top of getting heat. Um Ooh. Well, here's the biggest caveat to all of that. And I think it's the thing that it's staring us right in the face, but maybe you and I have failed to mention it. In my opinion, there cannot be a meaningful or top heel group faction or performer in Japan until they lift the clap crowd mandates. Mm, yeah. Because how can you even know who's the top heel if they're not getting booed and they're not getting heat and they're not drawing negative crowd reactions to where we know how the crowd is being affected by them, you know? And I do understand the whole, like, well, th their silence speaks volumes. Well, it, it does, but it also doesn't, you know? So, like, it's kind of hard to even um, to have a, a group that, like, it, it's going to be real interesting what happens with uh, House of Torture when the audiences are allowed to speak. Maybe their maybe their whole act would get over more once the crowd could actually respond to it. Or maybe we would find out that people are truly apathetic to it and they need to cut the shit. But, uh, you know, we, we, we're not going to know one way or the other when it comes to any of this until that part is taken care of, the restrictions. Yeah, definitely. That's a great and excellent point because we're, we're, we've been seeing these guys try to get heat of a crowd that can't react and all they can do is clap and nobody wants to clap for the heels. So you just have this deafening silence when guys are cheating or, or trying to get heat. So 
Yeah, well, yeah. I mean, it worked for like, for instance, like Jay White. It's one of the few performers who's talented enough when it comes to the the voice work and the the character stuff in the middle of the match to really play off of it. Uh, ELPs, I think ELP and Jay White are probably two of the guys that are more adept at that's at playing up their healness in that environment to a way that comes across to the crowd and to the camera what they're really trying to do. You know what I mean? And to just have little snarky stuff, but like most of the heels are just by the books doing their heel shit, trying to get heat and they can't get shit, you know? Right. You have to work different. Yeah. They have not been doing that. So uh, last question here from ready of the dark soldier says, I'm still astounded by the story that came out of Wrestle Kingdom night three about Kiji Muto. Are there any more stories about a Hollywood Hulk Muto politicking in his matches? Um, no, and I mean, I don't even think we ever talked about that in the show, huh? Yeah, I don't think we, I think we might, it was like lumped in with um, something, some other story that we mentioned, but we didn't really talk about it in depth. Uh, to be honest with you, I don't have any specifics. Like, I can't recall any deep, you know, pro lore stories about Kijimuto doing one thing or the other, but you probably wouldn't have to dig that far to find those stories. It's kind of a known thing that Kijimuto has been very protective of his spot and very protective of his character for the last 20 years, essentially. Um, you know, ever since he's been on, you know, kind of the downside of his uh, his prime. And, I mean, you can count, you know, how many major singles losses he's had to over the past, you know, 20 years and if you if the past decade it's like less than five guys that have like so you know extremely protective of his position i mean he's been booking himself most of that time as well keep in mind so it's not like uh you know politics or any kind of foreign thing but i mean it's not just him i mean that that's going to be almost any guy that comes from that era you know right Sting might be like one of the one of the few exceptions he's not the rule Kijimuto and guys like him and, you know, major stars from that era, they're the rule. Right. Like we mentioned, because when we talked about uh, Tanahashi last week, um, we were going over the Rainmaker shock in the beginning of the Okada feud. We talked about, like, how giving, like, Tanahashi was to, to kind of create a star. And I think we're seeing more now guys in Tanahashi's generation and generation coming up are, are more willing to kind of do business and create stars. But, yeah, guys like Muto and guys in that era, very, very, very protective of their spots and wanting to look strong as possible. Um, and I'm sure for Noah Muto, he is the, the biggest name in, in that promotion right now. Probably He's obviously not the best wrestler right now due to his uh, physical state. But he's he's still a big star, and he still sees himself as a big star, and wants to be treated as such. He also injured his hip and had to uh, <laughs> relinquish the tag titles like just recently. So no no job. Uh, yeah, no job on the way out there. But uh, you know, hopefully he gets better. But uh, it's never good to hear about the elderly hurting a hip. Holes <laughs> <laughs> down bad. Yeah, olds are down bad, but uh, that's going to do it. Not too many questions this week. You know, a little bit of a lighter week, but uh, 
We're going to move on to the recommended match of the week. Before I talk about last week's recommended match of the week, Jeremy, did you watch the match I sent you? What? Oh, the... my God. He didn't do it. He didn't do it. What, the, the, the tag match? Yeah. No, I have not watched it yet. Never mind. Don't worry about it. You don't need to cover <laughs> for the show. You know, he complained about the link. I found a new link for this man from last week's match. I sent it to him. I was like, yo, you want to check this out? I was like, thanks. I'll do it. He didn't do it. It's all right. <sighs> Anyways, so this week's <laughs> recommended match of the week, uh, Jeremy had recommended to me Kazushika Okada versus Tetsuya Naito from the 40th anniversary show. So 10 years ago, Okada versus Naito on the anniversary, live from Cork and Hall in Okada's first ever IWGP title defense. And uh, I got to tell you, Jeremy, not only did I think this match was fantastic, I think aside from their most recent Tokyo Dome match, speaking meaning Okada Naito, it's easily, aside from that, the best match of the entire series of matches they've ever had, mm. which is uh, pretty, and I, I can say that pretty definitively. I've seen the rest of the series. I've seen all their Tokyo Domes. I've seen all their G1 Climax matches. I've seen all of them. And uh, the vast majority of them aren't even close to how good this match was. This match was fantastic. Uh Highest recommendations. I'm four and three quarters on it. I liked it a lot better than um, most of the Tanahashi Okada matches that we saw last week. That might be controversial. I might even I might even like it better than the uh, the one that we all praised from Dominion in 2012. I think Okada Naito has a has a case for being a better match than that. Believe it or not. Mm. Yeah, and, I mean, um, this match is yeah, it was an excellent match up here. Yeah, and, you know, Naito is funny because this was not, you know, for those of you that are maybe not as familiar or initiated, this was pre-Los Ingrenables, they have pwned Tetsuya Naito. This was the stardust genius Tetsuya Naito, you know, and this man came out there doing everything in his power to be a star. This was, this. I mean, Okada was a great match, but this was the Tetsuya Naito show. Like, it makes you... We, we talked about it a few weeks ago when we watched Naito versus AJ Styles and how aerial he used to be and every, his athleticism, but it was on a whole different level in 2012. I mean, bro, he took so many, like, amazing bumps. I mean, he was doing flip sentons and, you know, all sorts of crazy leg sweeps. And, like, Naito was just on fire, you know, agile, the, the way he hopped the ropes. I mean, like, I didn't even recognize the guy. Um he was just—he was just incredible. Naito was incredible, and him and Okada went out there and they put on a fucking banger. Um, Naito's legwork on Okada, building off what we discussed last week with the Tanahashi series. I mean, he did an even better job attacking the leg than Tanahashi did against Okada, and uh, Okada seemed to really have his hands full with Naito. Like he was definitely much more. It's so interesting because this is right after he pretty much fucked up Tanahashi in the previous match. And in his first big title defense, he's literally underneath almost the whole time. So they, they really went out of their way to like make Naito look super strong in this match. But uh, at the very end of it, you know, Okada was able to finally unleash a Rainmaker on Naito, but not before 
like a minute and a half of just incredible sequencing of you know end match uh counter reversals which is something that okada has kind of gotten away from in recent years but at one point was sort of known as the top match finisher in all of wrestling Mm. the guy who could put together like a sequence of reversal 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 bam it leads into the rainmaker whatever it's going to be and that's what we saw here like this is probably the first really early instance of okada working something like that with a guy like naito and um just very different in almost every way from the, the remainder of their series and this was top notch and the crowd i mean they drew it for all the reports of okada being kind of a mildly recepted you know champion early on there was a lot of people here for this 40th anniversary show in cork and hall they sold it out and they were really hot to see naito beat this guy one last thing uh it was also interesting because naito spent you know his uh excursion over in mexico and then okada you know obviously came up through the toriumanj uh mexico uh you know, route with uh, Ultimo Dragon. And uh, so he's kind of adopted a lot of Yave. And it was kind of funny because, like, he's trying to use all this Yave and Naito. And Naito's like, do you know who you're fucking with right, right. now? <laughs> <laughs> he's like, he's like, oh, you, what did, uh, what did, uh, God, what's the bad guy's name in, uh, is it Bane? Yeah, Batman? Yeah. Remember when he's uh, talking to Batman? He's like, "You've merely adopted the darkness." Like, <laughs> I just I imagine like Naito being like, "You've merely adopted the Yavi, but I was raised in it, formed Born in it. <laughs> I was a man before I saw a conventional catch as catch can style maneuver." <laughs> so yeah, um, if you've never seen this match between Okada and Naito, I would highly recommend that you watch it and. I also think it's interesting how Naito's focusing so prevalently on Okada's legs in this upcoming match 10 years later and how much that was really the major story of this 40th anniversary show match between them. Uh, again, if you've never seen it, you got to see it. It, it. This is rec- like required viewing for New Japan if you're like a diehard. Yeah, big moment for Okada, you know, first big Tile offense after the Rainmaker shock, and I think he shut up a lot of critics with this matchup here. Yeah, he really, really showed that he had the goods. I mean, he kind of did that in the invasion attack match with Tanahashi, but like so much so. <laughs> in the, and you know what's funny? I don't even really like the Okada Naito feud or series the way other people do. Like, um, I've always thought that their matches were very good to great but not like in that match of the year contender kind of like area you know Mm -hmm. um until this most recent tokyo Dome match i've just never seen any of their matches that way but this 40th anniversary match is the exception to that rule this is one of the best matches they've had like i i only slightly put it behind that uh that tokyo Dome match just because of all the history and the story and the atmosphere and everything like that but uh you know i mean to see a 10-year odyssey like this play out, I mean, this was incredible booking, just the whole feud in general. Yeah, great stuff. Definitely recommend if you have not watched it yet, go out and watch this. So what did you uh, pick for us for this week, Josh? 
So this week, we are going off of New Japan World once again, but this one's a little less obscure than the one I tried to provide last week. Um, we are going to be watching from August 4th, 1996, during the G1 Climax 1996 tour, a J-Crown semifinal match as the Ultimo Dragon wrestles Shinjiro Otani. Man, those this should, this should be a banger. Those are two great guys, and... In a you know J crowd matchup, this should be very exciting. By all accounts, the best match they ever had with one another, and I believe this is widely regarded as Dragon's best New Japan match of all time. Nice. So looking forward to check that out. This is on uh, Billy Billy, and we will uh, send a link out there for you guys to to find this matchup. But yeah. Well, that's going to do it for this week's show. Next week, we'll be back to review this week's Golden Series shows. If you've enjoyed today's show, please consider making a donation. Visit socialsuplex.com slash donate. Click on the donate button under the Keeping It Strong style logo. Make sure to connect with us on social media. On Twitter, we're at KI Strong Style. On Facebook, we uh, run the Wrestling Squared Circle group. You can join us there. On Instagram, it is... Uh, uh, <laughs> running out of, what, what is it on Instagram? <laughs> at Social Suplex. At Social Suplex. On Reddit, uh, Jeremy is, uh, what are you? <laughs> <laughs> the pro black guy. The pro black guy, and I'm keeping a strong style. You can email Jeremy at Jeremy at socialsuplex.com. Check out all the other shows on the Social Suplex Podcast Network One Nation Radio, hosted by Rich Ladd and James Boyd. The Grave Consequences Podcast with Caleb and Maserati. All Things Elite with Floyd and Austin. And the AEW Match Guide podcast hosted by Sir Sam. Don't forget to subscribe and leave a rating and review. And we will catch you next time on Keeping It Strong Style, the ace of podcasts. Itchy bad. <laughs> Thank you for listening to Keeping It Strong Style. We'll see you next time. <laughs>